Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 29. I'm delighted to be joined by James Ruppert, who is editor of the highly commended magazine of the year, Free Car Mag. Welcome to Rear View, James. Let's kick straight off with what is Free Car Mag? Uh, what is it indeed? It's a very curious uh, thing, really. It's, um, it's a car magazine for people who actually would never normally look at a car magazine. Um, I've not down, gone down the credibility route where uh, maybe I've you know, uh, done something involving uh, rubbish old cars that I like. Um, but it's, it's, ma- it's making use of all the material out, out there. Um, I suppose I'm, I'm very, it's a very slightly like, like heat magazine, uh, but, but with cars in it. Um, so it isn't aimed at the motion enthusiast as such, although some content does creep in there, which is a, which is a tiny bit anarchy but not but not very much but we get a celebrity on the cover we have miss ellie goulding on the current cover it will horrify most people um but it makes people look at it it will make people look twice and that's the idea it's not aimed at um the pure car enthusiast it's aimed at everybody else who would never read or look at or pay attention to a car magazine that's the idea behind it the simplest okay well um so as is the question I have lined up for any editor of a print magazine is, are you clinically insane? But what was the reason why you decided to start or begin the magazine? It, well, because it, it seems to me print, sorry to cut you off there, seems to me print magazines is the hardest bit of motoring, writing, journalism, content creation that there is at the moment. It is. Um, and I must say that we were print for a while. <laughs> we are more we are far more digital, although we do do special editions from time to time because it is so very difficult, as you rightly observe. Um, we were free and we handed out at the major tube stations and, and other places. Uh, we did that quite successfully for a few issues. But uh, money uh, came back to haunt us in that I, there, there's a limited amount of time I can do something where it's costing me money. Mm. I'm a very mean person like that. And uh, so I just... Oh, so selfish, so selfish. <laughs> so uh, the idea seemed to be correct. We we did what we were designed to do, which was give away copies to people, and uh, people seemed to like it. Um, but it's, it was just to finance the whole thing, it became a bit too much. So we are a digital mag- magazine now, mainly. Uh, Mm -hmm. That may change. There are plans for that to change in in the future and do one offs for certain uh, um, uh, events and so forth like like that. But, yes, it was very difficult. I used to do it every week as well. And and that is the point where, yeah, I probably was clinically insane because I think if I'd have done it for much longer (laughs) every week, I, 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 I might have expired at some point. Um, or being put into a secure institution uh, for my own protection. Um, so it's now a monthly, and it's now mainly digital. But um, yes, you are you you are right. It's, it is something that could drive you mad. Uh, but I've come out out of the other side. Um, oh, well, I'm pleased to hear that <laughs> because one of one of the things that comes to me from having um, read a few of the uh, editions is that it's it's fun. It's not taking itself too seriously there is a there is a danger that we can be too serious i mean i think the way the angle that you've gone for helps with that um but i think there's a danger that we can take the motoring world a bit too seriously and a bit be a bit too po-faced about it and be in the uh what's the uh acronym the cliche at the moment you're in your own bubble or something like that um and i that 
I don't feel that has happened with Free Car Mag. I think it's an enjoyable read. Well, I'm glad that you've understood it completely. You, you are my target. So there you go. You've, you, you've actually understood it, is that I'm not trying to change the world. Um, yeah, I do think we should be, you know, a lot more uh, free and fun about things. This is material that any any magazine could actually in, include. And I think by the fact of having Ellie Goulding on, on the cover of the magazine, it's probably horrifying people, you know, everywhere. And But I think that's fun. <laughs> I think in many ways we are probably, we are... I think the campest car magazine around. And, uh, <laughs> that's that's the new that's the new strap line. <laughs> yeah, that, that should be a strap line. We are we are the campest car magazine. But you know, we also you know we do films, and if there's a TV series with a picture of a car in it, it goes in. It's as simple as that. I just really you know I just like the idea of that. So yeah, it is meant to be a bit of fun. It is meant to be a laugh. I mean, we gave away Eddie the Eagle's van from the film last year, which was. Um, uh, fun to do in a way, but I mean, it was it was a very complicated deal to 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 arrange. But that's the sort of thing we want to do more of. You know, your chance to win Eddie the Eagle's van. I mean, mm. that, to me, that was the. I just thought, well, that's the best thing I'm ever going to do, and so far it probably has been. You know, you know, to give away Eddie the van. And this woman was so pleased. I, you know, I, I can't tell you. You know, she, I think she almost exploded with excitement. <laughs> so um, there you go. So it's worked out. In, in weird ways it's a weird magazine but i like you yeah it really is it's meant to be a fun bit of a laugh and let's move on and yeah we're not we're not breaking stories we're not doing uh supercar road tests or anything like that it, there's lots of people who do that far far better than i ever could so i'll leave that to them but for the for the flim the flam and the celebrity angle there you go i've got that covered free car mag uh, either the campist magazine out there or come here for your flim and the flam there's <laughs> another another strap line <laughs> wonderful right uh, as i do quite early on in each of these shows i want to go back and ask about your motoring history because having chatted to you on twitter and seen stuff you've brought out you have clearly a long-term love of cars now do you know or have you been told when this started or do you remember uh i don't i just i was surrounded by cars from a very early age it may have something to do is that um i lived in a place called wanted where i was i was brought up and that was right next to the, the road i was in was next to the a11 which was basically the the major way in from the east to london so it every day it would be packed full of traffic so all i would see is cars and my mum i remember telling me is that i could identify every single car from uh, you know about two or three, I would point to every car. <laughs> so, so there really, I don't think there was any hope for me at all. I think it was just that it, 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 it you know, it was almost as if you know I was pre predestined to have something to do with cars because there were cars everywhere. Um, I was very, very lucky in that I was brought up in a household um, where we had um, quite a few members of uh, the family living in one house. We lived on the bottom. Um, my aunt Lo and Uncle Charles lived in the middle. I had another uncle and a grandmother right right at the top. So it was a lovely busy house. My uncle Charles um, bought a Mini very early on. And I remember that very clearly. I remember sitting in the back of that. Um, and also when he taught my sister to drive, that's when I learned all my swear words. He was a lovely bloke that he had no patience whatsoever. And he would just fly off the handle. Oh, poor sister, just learning how to drive. And I'd be as quiet as a mouse in the back, but... Really, he was just because he was a docker, so he was, he, you know, he'd been a mm. docker 
but he was a fantastic driver. He had a heavy goods vehicle license, public service vehicle driver. So he knew how to drive, but he wouldn't allow, you know, any any sway in any way. And I can remember that extremely clearly being being in the back uh, of that very early Mini. Um, uh, it was an Austin 7. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't even a Mini. So that's, so that's how, how old it was. Um, also, I was told tales. And um, again, Uncle Charles with my dad bought uh, a Humber Super Snipe just after, mm-hmm. so just after the war. I mean, really, a big engined limousine type car. Nobody wants it because you couldn't get petrol, but Uncle Charles could get petrol. So uh, that's probably why they bought it. But it was it was it cost about ten or fifteen quid. It was something ridiculous like that. So it's this huge car, and it was used by the Rupert family as like an MPV. So it was this massive, massive car, and um, they just ran it into the ground. And there were bits left of it um, in in our house. So in the cellar of the house, there used to be these great big Humber headlamps and i said wow. yeah and you just thought wow that was connected to um, you know some huge car and I, I all these stories i've got pictures of uh, my mum and dad and uh uncle Charles and auntie flo um you know going going to the seaside you know in in this big old car and you just think wow that was fantastic that you could get a car that huge for virtually nothing and obviously it never broke down because they had a huge unstressed engine so that's where I suppose my, you know, it was one of the early exposures I got to buying a, a big car cheaply for not very much money and running it into the ground. Well, we will touch on that later on, uh, definitely, because um, that that is obviously where I first bumped into you online. But um, so you're surrounded by cars and transport of all kinds uh, and the language that goes with it, perhaps, uh, and you... <laughs> Yeah. So you go into school. Did, did, uh, were you a kid in the corner drawing cars, or yeah. you know, did, was it an important? You know, were you sort of like? It's, well, yeah. it's a cliche to us in this corner of the internet, but it's not a cliche. But you know what I mean. That's right. Well, I, my my uh, uh, junior school um, was right next to a garage. So <laughs> I'd look out the window, and there was a working with Brown's garage, I N K Brown in Wanstead. So that was right next to it. So all you would see, I, I well, I would just watch cars going in and out all day long. So and it was just, you know, you just thought there's more cars, but uh, you know, I just seemed to be surrounded by them the whole time. And then my father um, actually went into the exhibition industry. He built stands, and he ended mm-hmm. up building stands that were at the Earl's Court Motor Show. So uh-huh. as a youngster, uh, I'll help with that one, Dad. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, he would, yeah, that's right. So he, he would he would d- design the stands and help build them and stuff like that. And he eventually um, started up his own company to do it himself. But that was one of the places where we would go every year and he would put an exhibitor's um, uh, a badge um, on my top pocket. Goodness knows what I was meant to be doing with him, you know, like, like I was an electrician, a nine-year-old electrician or something. And he would take me in on, on Presto. So, you know, I, 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 I would have access to these incredible cars i'd go onto stands with him because he would get get me on onto the stands i remember being sitting in any car i wanted and that was i was fantastically lucky and that was purely because what he did was build the stands and he would take me to the old school but i also went to the boat show i wasn't as fascinated by boats but um uh, again i was exposed at a very early age um, one thing i can remember seeing remember so clearly um at uh, a motor show was seeing graham hill and graham hill he was like a god i remember him walking through the crowd and it, it was like people sort of 
uh, moved out of the way. And I'm thinking that's great. The waters were parting. It really was. He, but he <laughs> he had so much presence. You know, you, you, I think a lot of drivers you would you probably could bump into and think, who was that? But obviously he was very distinctive with his moustache, and he seemed to. Well, he was tall to me because I was probably a midget at the time. But you know, he, he seemed like this huge figure, and you just think, wow, I've seen Graham Hill. So mm. I was very, very lucky uh, and privileged in that you know I, I had access to cars in a different way from everyone else. But yeah, at school I would uh, draw pictures, I would take uh, copies of car mechanics in um, and read them, and uh, oh, yeah, probably a very, a very strange person. Um, but I, but I just love, love, love cars really. And, uh, yeah, that went on, f- I think until I maybe discovered girls and playing the guitar for a while. And, and I, I thought perhaps at one point I could be the next George best. Um, but none of those things came to pass. <laughs> <laughs> Their loss, our gain. Oh, absolutely. Um, so d- your educational did you any educational choices you could make at the relevant point were they with an eye to moving into something to do with the car industry or did it never cross your mind that much as you were fascinated by them and loved them it wasn't an industry you would get into no it wasn't anything i thought about i think i did say to my dad at one point i quite like to be a car mechanic and i think he was fairly horrified by that um and i did go to a secondary modern school which in the old days was actually a, a pra- basically a practical school so i did end up doing metalwork woodwork designing technology and stuff like that so um i was reasonably handy in that you know i could repair things and take things apart and maybe put them back together again but i don't remember uh thinking particularly about um uh i think i thought very very early on that um I, don't, I, I thought, I don't think I can become a Formula One driver, but I did think becoming a Formula One team owner would be really good. And I can remember thinking that very early on and thinking, no, I think that'd be a stupid idea. But on reflection, <laughs> I just think, actually, that, that, is, that is probably the, the, the best thing you could ever have done, isn't it? So got a group of engineers together and come up with it. Because, you know, for a long while, especially when you, I think when you looked at Hesketh, I mean, if you saw the way that that team was put together, I know he had a bit of money, but it was a bit of a ramshackle, um, uh, arrangement and they went and they competed in Grand Prix and obviously now that would never happen and maybe it's a good thing you know uh, from a safety point of view but what they what they achieved with relatively little I, I thought was quite remarkable at the time but no I, I don't I don't think I did um, think that there was very much for me as far as cars goes and as I say the more teenage I got um, I think the less interested I, I got in that because of um, girls and guitars and things. Um, and I drifted away. But I think that happens to a lot of people. You find something else to be distracted by uh, Pink Floyd albums and Led Zeppelin albums and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so you, you just drift off into that, really. When did you, or what was, and when did you first enter the car universe? What was What was that? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the obsessive thing was to uh, to learn to drive. So, you you know, you really did think to yourself, I've, I've got to learn to drive. It's a it's a bit like now. I, I mean, I live in the countryside and um, my daughter's now 20. But really, if you if you don't drive um, uh, in the sticks, you, you have no social life. You uh, no. can't get a job uh, and you can't work. So those no. are those are the three most important things to my daughter and actually probably to me at the time even though I was in London and actually getting around was fine but um, as a teenage boy 
you know, again, that's the only way you're going to get a, 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 a girlfriend is if you have a car. So, so you do, so, <laughs> yeah, that's going to work, isn't it? So, um, you, so you're absolutely obsessed by it. So I think I got back into cars as soon as I knew that I could drive. I think, oh, yeah, I can park my bike up. Um, you know, I won't have to get on a bus anymore. Let's learn to drive. Um, and I think from then on, um, I thought, yeah, this is this is a very interesting thing to do. I became interested in cars and what they were. Although throughout the whole time, again, my, my dad was always involved me in buying cars. And that was uh, quite, quite fascinating. I've got quite a few pictures of me actually at a very young age looking at the Exchange of Mart, which people may not remember now, but was mm. uh, a magazine that was packed full of car ads. And I can remember just looking through that for hours and hours and hours. And uh, that's obviously seeped into my brain as well. Um, but yes, it was the, you know, the, the next uh, stage of me was, uh, yeah, let's go and go and drive a car. So I, I ended up buying um, the Mini from my sister. My sister had a Mini. She denies to this day that I paid a 50 quid for it, but I did. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it's on this podcast, so it must be true. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, <laughs> and, and that was it. And, yeah, I learned to drive, and um, I was off. And it, So was that 17 and one day, or...? No, it wasn't quite that. No, there was a. Um, uh, I actually passed my second go. It was. It was very complicated in that it, there was a huge wait waiting. So it took six months to get my first test. Mm. And um, I'd gone out with with my dad. My dad was the equivalent of Uncle Charles with my sister. In that he wasn't very patient. My dad was a fantastic bloke, but again, he 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 sort of thought, well, you've been watching me drive all these years, so by a process of osmosis, you must know how to drive and. I can remember he had an Audi 100 LS. So that was the first car I actually drove. Yeah, what a lovely car. It was your first car. But obviously, you know, within a yard, I'd stalled it. And he just looked at me like, what have you done? Well, I've never driven a car before. You know, so, you know, and it was, and I found it was easier with, with my sister. My sister wasn't so judgmental. So there you go. My sister essentially taught, taught me to drive, but don't tell her that uh, either. Otherwise, she'll want me to pay her you know another 50 quid or something so uh, <laughs> she was quite good <laughs> and i can remember it was in october and we went to the went went to the test center and um what actually happened was is that uh, the mini didn't have um uh, a heated rear window which is what i really need so when i did the reverse round the corner because it was like october and it was getting cold it all mm. stood up inside so i couldn't actually see um, out of the back window to go around the corner and I thought I'm guessing this I'm guessing this and obviously I hit the, I, I just rubbed the pavement I thought well that's it and it was so mm. I on that so how terrible was that um, and, but the the second time I went um, was in February so yeah so it, there was months and months in between this um, stop me if this is boring you yeah? um, no, no 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 I went, I went I went with my dad um, and uh, on the way to the test station it started to snow um, and then I went around a corner and we skidded and I, I caught the skid. And he, again, he just looked at me like, what are you doing? You're going to go and have a you know, driving test. And you're, you know, you're, <laughs> now you're, is not the time. You're, you're opposite looking, you know, you're, Monte Carlo rally, you're Paddy Hopkirk, you know, on your way, you know, you're never going to pass anything. Oh, God, is it? But we got there and uh, actually what had happened is the um, uh, car tire had uh, gone down, deflated completely. So, you know, we couldn't have um, sat, sat the test with it. So he took it over the road. There was a, uh, a petrol station. And he inflated it to uh, infinity and, and beyond. <laughs> it looked like a balloon when it got back. 
Um, and then I did the, sticking up on one corner. <laughs> it was it was like that. And then I I did the test and I passed. But uh, you know, but by the end of the test, it was flat as anything. And so I think I got away with it. Mm. there you go so uh, but yeah it 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 took a while because of delays and so forth but yes but once i could drive i was off and there was no stopping me excellent right okay well let let's leap into this now we've got here let's 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 go through some of your car history or your your car history that you i'm anticipating this might be quite a long list well it could be yeah um uh, which is no problem but i i am i am intrigued to see where we go on this list um, well, yeah, there's a mini, obviously. So we start. Mm-hmm. Um, I then actually quite, um, I quite like Triumph Dolomites at the time. Um, mm. And I, I um, after I left college, I actually went and worked in a bank. I earned a reasonable amount of money there. And I, I bought a Triumph Dolomite and it was an 1850. Um, and that was quite a nice car. I did enjoy that. And or was that before that? Yeah, and then I, I had a 1500 HL as well, uh, Triumph Dolomite. I do like the shape of the Dolomite. That is, yeah, that's right. I mean, it's um, Micheletti, and obviously there is there is a BMW connection there. Um, you know, you, um, uh, uh, I mean, he had a lot to do with um, uh, uh, contemporary cars, and really, if you just switch the badges on them, you'd think, ah, that's a that's a BMW, or no, ah, that's a Triumph. Um, it's one of those cars that I'd like if I had money, the space, and any uh, aptitude with a spanner to uh, improve, modify the oily bits, but keep the exterior, and then use often because I think I think it's just it's just a lovely shape. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful car. Yeah, and uh, rear wheel rear wheel drive as well. Um, uh, sort of uh, British um, uh, uh, Edwardian panelling on the inside uh, and stuff like that. It, yeah, it, it looks it looks good on both on the inside and the outside. It was very comfortable to drive actually, um, but bits would fall off them. But um, uh, details, we, details, yeah, absolutely. But uh, uh, they were they were very good. Yeah, I had a few of those minis. Um, the, the interesting mini that I bought at the time uh, in the late seventies is I, I uh, bought a Mini Cooper, which I still have. Um, and in those days, if you looked in the exchange of Mark that we've already mentioned, um, is that you could buy them for a few hundred quid, uh, sometimes less, sometimes a tiny bit more. And I, I, I bought a Mini Cooper for £200. I mean, it did look like a £200 Mini Cooper, um, but it was complete um, and it did work. And um, uh, that's sort of been a constant in my life ever since. I take it you're only taken out in the snow now. Uh, practicing skits uh, and running with flat tires exactly exactly (laughs) but um uh yeah so i I, you know that was you know you have these conversations with people is is like what cars would you have kept you know you should have this you should have all that and of course our lives are very complicated because we move we get married we do this we do that we don't have money we do have money uh and space and sometimes you have a garage and sometimes you don't so but i i've managed to um, make that work throughout the whole period because you can go on forever about cars that you could have owned and could have kept. Um, yeah. But luckily, I did it with that one, so I, I, I think I'm, I, I made the right decision there. Um, I mean, it is quite- on, under current prices that must be worth about three point four million. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if, if if you if you look at some of the uh, auction uh, suggested prices for some 
classic and in inverted inverted commas cars well, at the uh, moment. Exactly. Well, the whole classic um, car scene has, has sort of gone nuts, really. Um, in a way, you can understand it in that you know they don't make these cars anymore, and that's why people uh, want them. But uh, I mean, a lot of cars were, were rubbish when they were brand new, and they're still rubbish now. Uh, well, Fifty grand for a Sierra is, does seem yeah. a little bit well. It daft. is. Uh, yeah, I know. Having, having ridden in the back of one and been sick pretty much every time I was in the back of one of those. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, some escort turbos as well that you know been a ridiculous amount of money. Um, so yeah, I mean, each their own. People can spend money as 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 they wish. I you know that doesn't bother me. But it just you know for for some of them, I, I just think everybody's just thought well, everything is worth ten thousand pounds, irrespective of the condition it is, what it is, and how mm. it's after it. And that has to be wrong. And yeah. it would be nice that there's a bit more reality to it. And with some of the cars, obviously, you know, they're going to go straight into a collection. They'll never drive, you know, on the, you know, on the road again. And that is a shame. Um, and that isn't what we want to see because we're all car enthusiasts. And actually, the best thing you can ever see is a is a classic on the road. Well, that's uh, it. I mean, I, I was just thinking about that today because I, w- I was driving into a local town. Uh, I had to go on an errand. And there's two particular gardens I notice every time I go in. One seems to be a graveyard for uh, lightweight Land Rovers and old Range Rovers. And the other one is a graveyard for um, slightly less uh, uh, slightly less attractive, perhaps, but Daihatsu 4-tracks. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at both of these and going, oh, could you not sort of get them back on the road or pass them on to someone who will get them back on the road because that seems such a waste they're just sitting there rotting please don't do that you know they want they should be used that's right and and i know it's what you said before situations change someone has bought those cars and gone i'm going to tidy them up and get them back on the road or flog them on or something like that and it just hasn't happened for whatever reason um but please do it please don't let them rot (laughs) No, that's right. There's nothing sad. Or you say something like a Daihatsu four track that some people may struggle to remember what they what they were, but actually they're quite fascinating um, vehicles. I think as uh, sort of you know um, alternate reality Land Rovers and probably much more uh, reliable as well. Mm. Mm. Okay, so we we've got as no, how far have we got? We've got as far as Dolomites. Yeah, you haven't got very far. Um, and and your Mini Cooper, sorry. Uh, Mini Coopers, yeah. So uh, there was those. There was that that era. Those Minis and so forth. And I was always buying and selling Minis uh, around that time. Of, uh, a whole cavalcade of them. And then what we really have then is I uh, I did um, go to university and I did um, study law for a bit. And uh, well, mm-hmm. I did. St- I, I went through the whole process and I uh, I, I did qu- qu- qualify. Uh, but I didn't really enjoy. Um, law as it as it was it seemed like a terrifically boring thing is that you might get something quite exciting where you go into court and rip people's shreds and that that would be fantastic but mostly it seemed like convincing or writing someone's will and I was, <laughs> I, I, well that's probably why they charge so much it's like this is so tedious i have to make this yeah, worth my while <laughs> absolutely it so so although i did that it was it was probably um to make my dad a bit happier in that um you know, I just thought, look, I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do a proper job. Um, and then I really upset him by becoming a car salesman. So that was, <laughs> that was a bit weird. Um, but I, but I saw the advert and it, and it said I got a free BMW and that sort of, I thought, wow, really? Um, so, you know, I'd left university and I thought, well, what am I going to do next? And I saw this advert 
um, and it was in Park Lane. So um, they promised you the world and you would get uh, a BMW. And I thought, well, I could do that. I know about cars. And that's what I did. Um, and uh, uh, I thought of a sort of uh, analogy, really, um, for you in that uh, in life, um, maybe um, it's 1967 and you're a roadie and there's this bloke called Jimi Hendrix that you're roadieing for. Um, so you're you're sort of part of his world. You're not as good as he is, but you're you're witnessing history taking place, so mm. so, so to speak. And I think this is this is what happened with me there. In that it's, it's happened a few times in my life. I've been in the right place at the right time. So I went to Park Lane and uh, I passed all the interviews and whatever. And then they said, yeah, yeah um, you've got the job. And the first BMW I drove. Well, the, the odd thing was is that they they took your word for it that you could drive. But on the first day, they sort of said, well, you better go out in this in this seven series. Um, and drive us around the West End to make sure you actually can drive. And uh, I, I thought I, th- I thought it was a bit late by that point uh, <laughs> when they actually offered you the job. Um, <laughs> you I strap in, chaps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, so no, so I was there. I was there for a couple of years. It's the it was the best real world job I've ever had, and it taught me everything uh, I know. It taught me everything about life. You know, in that you know you've got to be really tough. Um, you know, there were fights over car sales, um, uh, but it, it just it was just everything that I didn't know what it what it would be. But it, it taught me everything about look, looking at cars, um, how to appraise cars, um, how to deal with people um, and how to approach life. Um, it was a it was a wonderful uh, experience, really, um, uh, which I which I did for two years. And but I was there at the right time because the E30 was the car. The yuppie, the, the yuppie was born oh. at that time. And yeah, it was it was a it was a wonderful meeting of everything. And Spandau Ballet were number one. And uh, uh, I had more hair in my head. That was um, I used to be called Jimmy Spandau. Actually, that was my nickname now because my my hair sort of went up in the. <laughs> did you have Did you use hairspray by any chance? I, I I don't think I did. I have no recollection. I could have done obviously. Uh, okay, you've blanked it from your Yeah, um, but um, <laughs> to protect the innocent. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it was but it was a fantastic time. But I was there, and there were ten salesmen. I mean, that is unheard of. I mean, there's very few car showrooms you can ever go to, and there's ten people. So, so the competition was absolutely huge. And um, also, when you when you go into a showroom, sometimes you get handed um, cards with um, uh, customer cards. But obviously, mm. by the time you got there they've taken all the good ones. So all you've got are dead people. So you'll ring up these people and they'll say, Oh, are you seeing another BMW? No, he, he, he died or he, he left me. The swine left me for, you know, the maid <laughs> or something. So you get all these terrible cards, all these. Um, and so what, what I had to do was work really, again, it just taught me everything to work really hard. So I thought, well, you know, I've got to get up. I've got to chase down every single person. I've got to go out on my own. I've got to do things. And so, yeah, it made me the person I am today, which some people would say, well, that's not very impressive. Um, but uh, no, uh, you know, I, I just had a, a brilliant time. I got to drive the best cars at, at the best time as well. Um, it taught me what um, uh, a good car was. It does relate to my car history because um, that affected completely all the cars I've ever had since. Mm. I can remember uh, one of the salesmen, a chap called Paul, Milverton, I think, still sells cars in North London, and he pulled up at our garage, and it was a it was a Lancia, 
um, and he got hold of the dashboard and pulled it forward onto the steering column. And he said, people say to me, why should I buy a German car? And, he, and then he just shoved it all, all back in. It was just everything came came apart. And I just constantly saw this the whole time. I would see these cars, which were awful. And then you get into a BMW and you just think, well, this is so well screwed together. You know, how, yeah, the, how I think the E30 was a beautiful shape as well. Yeah. That's beautifully right. particularly the touring i mean i'm a, i am uh i'm not apologizing for my love of estate cars um but i think the touring was uh, is a particularly attractive um e30 uh you know if you could manage to get the 325 as well it seems like the perfect again we, we now go through again more cars if i had money time any aptitude uh yes please one of those do very nicely thank you <laughs> That's right. Well, that is, a, that is one of the cars I did, I did go on to buy many years later. I did buy a 320, which, again, is one of those I should have kept. I just think, yeah, it was a very pretty car. Um, but, no, that, that, you know, from that was the point where I, I did look at cars. Because also, another thing to understand is when you're selling brand-new cars mainly, I, there was limited um, uh, room to actually sell used cars, although I did do very well at that because, again, when you're, when you're first there – you don't have anything, you know, you don't have um, orders going back for months and months and things like that, or customers who are constantly ordering from you. So what you do is you is you make deals. So somebody's bringing a car in, you, that's a part exchange, you resell it to someone else. So that's how you make your money. You, you're, you're, mm. you're dealing the whole time. So that was fascinating for me. But, but, but the whole thing was is that you would look at cars that were two, three years old. They really did seem ancient. But also you could instantly tell how bad cars were. They, you know, they really were terrible at the time. I don't think we realise how great used cars are now that, you know, a 10-year-old car is almost as good as a brand new car. It's probably just 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 as solid, provided it's been serviced right. But years mm -hmm. ago, old cars really were old cars, you know, after a decade or two. You just threw them away, you know, because they, they were just worn out completely. Um, so, yeah, I saw firsthand all these cars. I learned how to look at cars. Um, which was quite fascinating as well. And um, I can remember actually uh, um, when it came to looking at cars, looking at a Citroen CX um, in the dark in a garage because it because it couldn't be moved because obviously it was Citroen CX, so it sat down on its suspension and would never move again. And I can remember appraising it by hand. So I was writing <laughs> down on this sheet where the dents were because that's all I could really do. It wouldn't start, nothing would happen. I thought, well, the best I can do then is just see where the dents are. And that, and that was it. So I did it completely blindfold. Uh, in effect i remember things things like that um but no it, it, it taught me what what a good car was and it wasn't always a bmw it could be a mercedes and it could be some other cars as well but um it, it was a it, it was a fantastic training uh, ground for me um and at the time i had no no idea that i would go on to write about cars or be involved with cars at a later stage mm. right so uh so you say a couple of years yeah, that's right. Doing I was this, of, of this crash course in the University of Life, <laughs> by it, the sounds of it, very much so. Oh, it really was. No, it taught me everything, and uh, yeah, it was it was um, it, it was a huge amount of fun. But one thing I recognise is that um, in the car trade, there are no retirement parties. Um, you will either be sacked, <laughs> yes, you, you you will not get um, a, a carriage clock um, because um, you will be worn out. So you'll you'll either be sacked because one month you didn't you know, um, sell 38 cars um, or you'll just become bored or you'll get promoted into management. But the, the, the buck will always 
stop with you and you found that with a lot of people in management in that if things went wrong then they were the first to go because it, it, they're quite easy people to replace and salesmen mm. are quite easy to replace when you you know when you're doing well you won't have a problem um and i just saw that there was a limit to it and what they would always do which happens in all sales environments is obviously uh, targets get increased 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 and you just think well it's going to be infinity so you know once they're going to say you know you've got to do a million billion trillion pounds this month you know in order to beat your last month and you just think well it just goes on and on so i, I couldn't i couldn't see a career in it really mm. um and actually as you get promoted you actually earn less money so salesman you're better off saying as a salesman and earning commission than you are you know getting on the corporate ladder where you just think yeah, there's, you know, you're never ever going to get anything back back for that. You'll just get fired in a few years' time when something that's not your fault goes wrong. So I, I'd seen enough of that to think, nah, I don't think I want to do that. So um, yeah, I did it for two years. I did it for the right amount of time. I did it. I did it as a young man uh, as well, as where I had no. Yes, that sounds like an important yeah. thing to do. It. When... <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you if you had a young a... person's game, that it, very much so. I I I think so. And uh, yeah, I think when you when you get a bit older, it's um, uh, it's not so much fun. But but for a young person, I think, I think we have less tolerance as well. Uh, yeah, probably, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm always quite fascinated. I quite like going into, into car showrooms. But what I I do find, I mean, I can be very critical. Is that they, they don't seem as hungry, <laughs> probably because they they um, they're trained in a different way. They're probably more empathetic, uh, em, yeah, empathetic, em, empathetic, or whatever, uh, mm. compared to the way we were. In that we were told, right, you if if you're you know sitting across from someone, you've got to make a sale, um, mm. and, it, and it wasn't about being being pressured. You could do it in a really nice way. Um, but I just I just find people you know they don't don't ask for your phone numbers. They don't ask. Um, you know, qualifying questions, um, closing questions. And, uh, you know, I'll just do it for a bit of fun if I'm passing a show when I've got time and just go and see if I can go and go and go and buy a car. But I, I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) Hi, my name's James and I buy cars. (laughs) Um, uh, very occasionally somebody says are you james Rupert?" but um but now i've grown a beard no uh, people don't re- recognize me anymore so that's quite good um but um uh, no i mean i just find the whole process of selling cars because you you actually don't have to lie or tell fibs or be nasty you can actually do it in a really nice way and it and it can be done as fun and yeah but that's the cliche isn't it the cliche but, is with you know there's obviously got to be some truth in there that there are people, I mean, they are in all walks of life, but there are people out there that don't do it um, in a, I'm not going to even say ethical, it's nothing to do with ethics, but they just don't, they don't tell the truth. They're not honest. And they're trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. And as you just said there, you don't need to do that. And it's, unless what you are trying to sell is not what you are actually selling. No, that's right. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, you do have to believe in it. And look, I, I I had BMWs, and so it was the best product in the world. I was very lucky. Um, you know, I never used to get uh, customers ring me up and go, my car's broken down, my car's blown up. Nobody ever did that, ever, because mm-hmm. the cars were, were that good. And it was such a difference from, you know, because, again, in that period, that's when people bought BL cars, and they were rubbish. They were terrible. Um, I've got my, you know, my, my dad in 1978 he worked hard all his life, and he thought, "I'll buy a Daimler." He bought a Daimler XJ6, so it was a it was a treat to himself 
to say, you know, I've worked very hard and that was great. It was a beautiful looking car, but it was terrible. It was the worst car ever. You know, within a year, the engine had blown up, uh, the paint had fallen off. You know, it was a real nightmare of a car. And you could see why people stopped buying British cars. Because well, my my dad was similar. He bought um, he bought himself an XJ, um, XJS, I think it was, uh, and within six months he'd taken it back. Yeah, because so many things went wrong, and then he went, uh, and that was a fifty mile journey to the showroom because he'd always wanted he'd always wanted a Jag. Did a fifty mile journey, you know, to the to the showroom, and in the end went seven miles down the road to Mercedes and kept that car for twenty years. Yeah, that's right. It almost, I mean, I. I wasn't really quite old enough to experience it and i'm only getting this second hand and you see these documentaries and you hear people talk about it and there's articles written but it just seemed like there was this arrogance at the yeah. time of the product that there was no right at all to be arrogant in any way no absolutely not no that was it um i mean that's why the japanese did did so well because they made cars that started in the morning and, and for most people that's all they wanted <laughs> they wanted a car that would get them to work get them home again um and maybe had a radio in it for free you know which you would have to pay for and that's another thing with bmws that nothing came on the car and you mm. more money by selling more bits but it but it but the whole package was so well well put together and so well engineered no one was disappointed um, and people would you know they'd scrape the money to together to buy a 316 basic car because it was a BMW. Probably. Do you think that was the start of, I don't know if badge snobbery is quite the right word, but badge envy? Yeah, I think it was really. And do you think you think it, it started with because they work? Yeah, it was partly that. But also you noticed uh, that people wanted wanted the car because it was a BMW. The, the customers changed um, from uh, there was there was a generation of, of old money who bought uh, two double twos if you remember those mm-hmm. um and they would be you know well off uh well-spoken people who who would buy the best because two double twos were incredibly expensive uh, they were you know e-type price um so uh, uh people who, who bought them appreciated them as uh, very well-made cars but when when you got into the 80s then it really was it was the company car era because that was one of the qualifying questions you asked people is that you would say is this a private or company purchase and people were starting to be able to um pick their cars and well you know they 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 could have a basic 316 or they could have a granada gear x but they would rather have the basic BMW. And that's mm. what you saw again and again, is that people, yeah, oh, well, I could have a Rover with all the bits on it, but I don't want a Rover with all the bits on it. I want that. Because it's the, you know, it's a stylish, fantastic, great handling car. Uh, and mm. it's a BMW. So it, it, it was the beginning of, um, you know, the premium brand. And that's where we've gone. Um, in that, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, nobody really goes out of their way not to buy a BMW or a Mercedes or a Lexus or whatever these days. Yeah, true, true. Okay, so after two years of um, of selling uh, and getting this education in life and you see that it's not a long-term thing, what do you move on to? Well, then I did think, actually, writing. I thought, well, writing's good. Um, one of the things I – one of the first things I did um, was I, I wrote a book called uh, Dealing with Car Dealers because I, I looked around and no one had written about um, how you deal with a car dealer because I knew all, uh, all the um, tricks and wrinkles about when you go into a car show and what they're trying to do. Is oh, you're out. turning Queen's evidence. Yeah, that's it. 
<laughs> and uh, I thought, well, I'll do that. And I, I, I wrote to Haynes, the, the, the manual people, and, mm-hmm. uh, and they said, yeah, that's a very good idea. Please, please go and write it. And I was, I was very naive at the time, and they didn't pay me an advance of £10 million pounds or anything. And I, I, don't, I didn't get any money at all for it. Um, I, I, I did once it started selling, but um, I learned that later in that what you should do is say, you know, give me lots of money first. But I, but I wrote the book, but it was a, um, I'd never written, written a book before, but I thought I knew, I knew the subject. So, and in those days, when you wrote a book, um, it, it took about a year to come out, which I've never ever been able to fathom. Is that you've written it, and then they sort of go, "Yeah, it'll be out sort of you know next September or something." And you just think, well, well they have cycles, don't they? Yeah, it's it's, it, but it's, it's just, very it's, odd. It's very very strange indeed. Um, but I thought, well, fine. And in between, I thought, well, I'd better try and find um, uh, jobs with writing in it, and. Um, I worked as a freelance copywriter, and again, copywriting was um, uh, a way I, I learned an awful lot about how to how to put things together um, to a, um, uh, a deadline. Um, work had to be in, in, interesting and so forth. And I worked for a tiny little agency uh, in Maidenhead who had the contract actually with Renault, who were based right. in East London. And I ended up writing what was what was their bulletin. So it was the oh, thing. they had some nice cars in the eighties. Yeah, they did absolutely. That's right. I used to drive up to their show with something. It was called the Renault Bulletin. That's what I used to write. And it was basically it was all the service sheets. It was um, sales information and it was all sort of color coded and little dots on it. So the the department um, relevant to the information they were getting could pull it out of this um, folder. So I, I basically came up with this folder system um, and that's what they had for a few years. So I worked for this little agency doing that as a freelance um, and yeah, it was uh, quite fun. Yeah, I used to drive a little metro van um, uh, uh, to um, uh, up, up, up the A40 to the head of Renault, and that was a huge showroom. I don't know if you ever remember seeing that on the edge of the A40. A, A no. Um, and um, I used to drop those off there. So I, I learned a lot about that. And I also went to work full time at an advertising agency in Charlotte Street in the West End. And again, that was I spent a year there. And that was a really good part, way of sharpening, um, you know, my chops when it came to writing is that, you know, you'd, you'd have to get the message over in, you know, one side of A4 and get a good headline and all that sort of stuff. So that was very good. Um, did, did you have mentors there or was it, did you learn this? Uh, no. Was I, the atmosphere harsh? But yeah. because you're a grown up, you sort of went, well, right, I'm taking on board what they've said. <laughs> I may take out some of the swear words or whatever, but okay, now I need to go back and fix this as they've asked. Yeah. And then through process of elimination, the amount of times they had to tell you to fix things got less and less. Is that how it worked for you? Yeah, well, that, that's it. Yeah, I, no one ever, ever, ever put their arm around me and um, reassured me that everything was going to be okay. Um, yeah, you, just, you, just <laughs> you get suspicious by the sounds of it. You do, don't you? But I, I've never really had that in life, and I, I think that's probably the best, um, the, the best way for it, for it for it to be. But in between these two um, jobs, um, dealing with car dealers had come out, and actually I started to get some freelance work, and I, I actually wrote something in Tatler. About oh, right. So, yeah, would you believe it? Um, and uh, that was a, a really weird one in that um, – uh, it, it, it sort of. Um, uh, I remember being being commissioned by them. So this is this is the older days 
in that they would take you out to lunch to commission something. So, um, and it was oh, John- marvelous. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And do you know a chap called Jonathan Meads, um, who was who's um, uh, he's done lots of documentaries. You don't see him so much on TV now. But he was a larger than life character. Architecture. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yep. 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 Where's the uh, the dark glasses, the sunglasses? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. I know yep. you mean. Met him a few times, but but the way they would commission it is they wouldn't do it on the phone or 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 by letter or by fax or whatever. You would go It'd there. Be very gauche. And, yeah. Yeah, was, <laughs> yeah. That's right. But they would take you to lunch. So it's just you, you know you just think of that about that now. You know, all you get now is is an angry email from someone saying, "Can you write three hundred words on this?" And you go, "Yeah," and it's done. Um, whereas then you would go out to lunch with somebody. It was very civilised and you'd talk about things. And, yeah, so I ended up writing um, a couple of things for them. And uh, I think then someone who had once written about cars in the 1930s woke up and said, oh, no, I write about cars, you know, some someone with a triple-barreled barreled name. And so I didn't write anything for, for them uh, again. I also did something in woman's own time. I wrote for really weird places. But what <laughs> I really did, I, I sent the book to um, a chap called Steve Cropley. I don't know whether you've heard of him. Oh, yes. Um, and uh, Alan has a shrine for him in his <laughs> in his house. Well, uh, <laughs> well, Mr. Cropley uh, um, at, at, at the time um, was the editor of Car Magazine, and I said to him one thing: you I said I love Car Magazine. I said, but you don't write about used cars. I said far more people buy used cars than new cars, so why not let me write something? And to my utter shock, I thought, obviously, sort of tear the letter up and throw it in the bin. But again, he invited me uh, to Earl's Court, which is which is where they were uh, in the old days. And I met Gavin Green and uh, Richard Bremner. And they were very enthusiastic. I, what what I'd written for them, because I, they said, oh, would you do something on spec? And I did. And they really liked it. And they said, did did you write this? I said, well, yes, I did. Because they, they, they thought that I'd, I'd gone and said to someone, you know, this is what I want to write. And they'd written it. So they were pleasantly surprised i suppose that i was a real person uh and doing it and you know steve Crockley said right do you want to write a column i mean that's the sort of thing that i i just don't think would happen now i think there'd be a far longer process and a far longer you know the, the amount of trust that he placed in me that i could write a column each month i think was quite was quite incredible so i think it would happen differently now though it would yeah uh because of um i i, I think uh, yeah, I agree with you that you know pretty much on spec they wouldn't sign you up, but you would. There is a chance to put your style and your level of quality and all the rest of it out in different formats now, and that's something I want to touch on later about the digital and current state of motoring content. Um, but uh, I, I think, on one hand, it's it's easier nowadays for someone to know about you. But it's. I think it's harder because there's so many more voices. That's right. Yeah. Well, there's there's an awful lot of people want to do what what we're doing now uh, mm. compared compared to then. Um, but uh, I just think it was remarkable for him at, at at the time to take to take a risk because you know okay I did have a book out but apart from that I wasn't known um, any any anywhere else and I think he took um, you know a huge gamble but it but it did pay off and that's my second jimmy hendrix roadie moment uh, move, uh, moment I, I think is that again i was in the right place at the right time and it was car magazine and you just think to yourself well you know car magazine oh no no well, hang on hang on a second hang on no no, no no you put yourself in the right place at the right time not you were well you've approached them you've made the effort i mean this is something that uh if anybody younger is listening that 
needs to be really appreciated is putting the effort in. And I think it's something you have made clear in your career up to now is you're not scared of hard work. You're not scared of putting, you know, you've written a book without anyone giving you any money. So you've had to go and earn some money to be able to write the book and live at the same time. You know, you were in the, it sounds like incredibly cutthroat world of, um, of that particular uh, showroom anyway, where you first started, you know, that you, you are not scared of hard work. You understand that hard work is fundamental to being able to do anything that you are wanting to do. Because if you haven't put any hard work in or effort in beforehand, no one's going to pay you attention. Well, it's very nice of you to say that. And I suppose if that is a life lesson for young y- youngsters, then I suppose that, that, that is a good way to put it. Um, I, I probably don't, don't think about it that, that way. It was just sort of things that things seem to happen to me. But yes, you probably are correct. And uh, that's very, that's the nicest thing anyone's um, said to me for uh, maybe years. So they <laughs> so kind of you. I'll go into a corner and sob um, <laughs> at how nice you've been to me. Uh, I'll, I'll be mean in a minute. Don't worry. We're, we've got to go through all your car choices yet. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> right. So, so you. All oh, right. Okay. So, fantastically, Car have said yes. Are you in the office writing with them? No, no, no. I'm freelance. I've freelancing. Never, right. I've always freelance. I've never worked in uh, an office at all. Really. I've, I've gone into. The oh, office. you lucky, lucky so and so. Yeah. Yeah. That, absolutely, and uh, uh, I'm very pleased about that. But no, no, I didn't. I was um, I, I was a freelance, and I always have been a freelance for all the magazines that uh, I've ever contributed to. Um, so how? Okay, up to now, mm. on your written work, the feedback sounds like it um, has been. I think we'll be kind here and say blunt in requirements back of improvements. How was the feedback then when you? Uh, started working for car well i i was very very lucky in that they didn't in it interfere they really liked what what i did i think it was because it was a different voice and it was a different kind of uh thing and also steve Cropley loved used cars and um uh and they really just left left me alone it was really very nice to me they might say well you know can you you know, we want to change the format and uh, uh, for various things. And I ended up going out looking at lots of cars and I was happy to do that uh, to make it a bit more l- lively. But really, they, they left me to it. And I was very I've been extremely lucky, but it just seemed to fit. Uh, as I say it was it was it was the golden time to be working, working for car magazine. Um, mm. And I was l- l- lucky enough to write um, other features for for them as well it wasn't it wasn't just basic used car stuff um i could do you know um if i came up with a story and they thought it was good good enough i could go away and do it um and it's very very nice and in the old days they had money to do it in that you know there would be a nice il- illustration with it you could write you know two three thousand words and it would get published and that is becoming more and more difficult today as you say yeah i mean that is that is definitely a big change in content yeah, that's right so, but it was a yeah. I had lots of freedom, and it was just nice. But what it is, I think, is that you read the other people there a bit, like you know George Bishop, who I absolutely adore. But you would you would read what he he does, and you just think, well, yeah, I wonder if I can write as well as that. You know, I wonder if I'll make things sound as as e- easily as that. But I think the the key with with Carr at the time is that you had different voices. You had Set Right and Bulgin, and uh, and you had uh, uh, George Bishop and you know, the brilliant stuff that Richard Bremer did. And it was all very, very 
different, but um, it, it, it was just of such a high quality. And um, uh, it's just every, everybody had their own area of expertise and they all made it seem easier than it than it probably was. Um, but um, no, it was just great. And, and it was all packaged together with wonderful pictures. And that also made, made, made the magazine as well as that, you know, you could you sit and read it, but you could just sit and look at it. And when you think about it for, for cars, it's very unusual, isn't it? In that you just think, well, surely you want to hear it go vroom. You want to see it go around a corner sideways. But, but the, but the brilliance of, of the journalism, especially in, in the UK compared to American magazines, which I always found rather boring, is that people were able to convey how exciting and what fun cars were. Um, yeah. I mean, I think with the the various forms of um, content available to us now, you can see that in the way that um, certain people do things. I mean, there's, there's things like, there's Tom Ford's writing in Top Gear magazine, I always enjoy. Um, his longer form stuff. Um, and I think it is when someone's allowed to do longer form, we're able to enjoy them and get to know them better. It's, you know, it's very, it's very difficult in a first drive, here's 250 words on, you know, whatever it is to, to get your personality out across through that, I think, um, for, for some of the writing, you know, and, and some of, some of the places you can go for, say, a first drive, it, it's almost like a generic, right, I've got to tick this box in this paragraph, this box in that paragraph. And, you know, and obviously every uh, every site or magazine has a, a certain style they wish to they wish to have, but it's allowing the writers freedom enough to express it in their unique way because there must be a reason why the people were hired. Yeah, absolutely. But, so but I, allow them to express that to the rest of it. There's something that you as the editor liked in this person and their work, so allow them to express that. That's right, absolutely. And, uh, and I think someone like Tom is um, you know, a wonderful e- e- example of uh, you know, how good writing still is these days. You know? I mean, I, I said this the other day as well. I said there's, um, there's uh, Gavin Braithwaite-Smith and um, Richard Portis as Sniff Petrol. They're two of my favourite sites to go and read at the moment. What they're putting out, I know Gavin's time constraint, so you know he's not as regular as perhaps he'd want to be. But the stuff that comes out is is wonderful. It's it's never, it's not um, necessarily mainstream. As in, we'll get six million views in the first thirty minutes. But I I I always find it a joy to read what those two put out because it's. It's people who clearly enjoy the motoring world, yet uh, are not um, too precious about themselves. No, that's right. That's a- absolutely it. Um, uh, although it sort of does come very sadly um, back to uh, money in that uh, yeah. if you're going to write stuff um, and knock yourself out writing stuff, you really want some sort of payback. And mm. uh, in Increasingly, over the last decade or so, you get less and less money money back uh, to the point where writing uh, for certain pub publications is risible. Um, certainly some of the classic ones, I, uh, I won't mention any names, um, but certainly some people expect you to deliver um, copy which is, you know, below the minimum wage and you just think well you know uh, i mean sometimes you you if you feel passionately about something you'll do it but really you just think um in economic terms um 
it, it, it just it just isn't worth the effort. Whereas in the old days, obviously, it um, it did pay its way. Uh, and that and that is sad. It is not all about money. But if you're a writer and you care about um, the audio that you put words in and the gags that you um, you know weave into uh, things, you just think, well, I should get something back for this. That's one of the downsides um, of the internet um, is that it has reduced um, everything to the lowest common common denominator. And you know, as you say. Um, uh, uh, Gavin's site is fantastic, um, and, it, and it and it has the sort of content that uh, people do love, but you just don't get the return on it. And I, I found that with uh, Bangonomics, uh, people like the concept of Bangonomics; they like things I've, I've written. Um, and the site, I probably about ten years or so ago, I probably you know updated it every single day with pictures and cars for sale, and did all sorts, and used to get a response back from people. But what I've noticed in the last few years is that people, well, they sit on Twitter, sit on Facebook, uh, they go to the very big sites, but they won't look at the niche ones. And uh, I'm trying to think of some way that we could curate all all the best of what you do um, and what Gavin does and, and try and say to people, look, you, you, know, you can go there and enjoy yourself there. Um, because otherwise it is, you know, it, it, it is a huge waste. But I understand why people don't update websites because I don't I don't do very much at all on my bangonomics anymore because you just you just don't get the response to it. OK, well, you, you've brought up the B word. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I will I, I, am, I want to come back to that, that point you just raised there, because yeah. I think this is important. And this is something we have both discussed off air, as it were. God, I sound almost professional um, off air. <laughs> I've wanted to use that phrase for quite a while now. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Um, but we will come back to that. But can you explain to anybody out there who who is listening now who isn't aware, and shame on you, but isn't aware what Bangonomics is? Well, Bangonomics is, I, I mean, I I just gave a name to it. It's something that people have done forever. And I can go back to my dad. My dad probably told me very weird going to bed stories. And one of them was about some, a chap he worked with. And he, uh, a chap when he was at work in, in the early ni- 1950s, used to buy four populars for about five pounds. And he would, he, you know, so these were very old Fords. They were probably pre-war ones, 1930s Fords. He'd buy them for, for, for a fiver in those days. And then he would run it. And he wouldn't even put oil in it. And my dad said he would get at least a year out of each car. So all he'd put was petrol in it wouldn't do anything else and so he'd, he'd have you know it was cheaper than cycling cheaper than taking the bus cheaper and it would get him you know back and forward to work and then he said when it expired i mean this is the thing not not to do now folks uh, when it expired by the road he would leave it and wander off and then buy another car so so you know he got the maximum amount of life out of the car so the concept of it, I quite liked. I just thought, well, yeah, that's that's quite a good way to um, live li- live your life. Um, in the late 1980s and early 90s, I spent a bit of time in India. And if you ever go there, it's a magnificent country. What you will find is people repairing cars by the side of the road. They will make mm-hmm. cars last forever. You know, there's a bloke with like a B-series engine on, on, on his lap, you know, making it, you know, he's you know he's, he's grooving out the bores and doing whatever to make it last just a bit longer and you look at that and you just think well compared to what we do it's like you know once the ashtrays are full we're going to you know we're going to sell the car or because next door neighbor <laughs> you know next door neighbor has, has, has bought you know a range rover well we're going to have to sell our uh, Kia and buy one of those as well and we'll have to make sure it's a better one so there's parts of it where you just think well people are nuts aren't they you know why why would you not you know keep a car going that's 
you know, great. Um, I mean, part of it is fine. If you want to sell a car, uh, great, and buy another one, that's no, that's no problem. I, the only issue I have with people is if they're, if they borrow money and you just think, well, you don't, why, why would you borrow money in a wasting asset? Um, you know, and it, yeah, it's never going to, well, for, for 99.9% of us, they'll never appreciate. No. Because <laughs> we can't afford the two million pound Ferrari. That's right. That but, is only ever going to go up. That's it. But it I, I think it was just the, the fact that there were, I, I knew people who would buy cars just, just because. So it was, so it, 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 it was a car that they, they probably wouldn't put 20, 30,000 miles on. They weren't going up down the motor. You see, there is a good reason for a brand new car. You know, if your company buys it for you, if you're doing a million miles a year um, and you've got specific things that are in mind or you can just afford it if you can afford mm, to buy the yeah. car run it that's i've got no problem with that but i see so many people and i get some letters from people and emails of people who who are paying money for a car that they is either over specified for the job or, or 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 not appropriate for the job you know it's people buying brand new cars just to do two three thousand miles in it and it is to sit on their drive and yeah. and make their neighbors think oh they've got one of those but they can't actually afford because they're paying payments on it and you just think well that's nuts but but it, but it, it's, it's just the fact that we're going back to that thing i said earlier is that um, modern cars are fantastic in that you know at, at 10 years old they're just about run in um so is there a set of rules for what will make a car a bangonomic car is is there a price is there an age is there what what's what no, makes I, something bangonomic I think, well, I get letters from people. When I say letters, I mean e- e- emails. There are some people who say, oh, I, I paid £2,000 for this, which isn't bangonomics. But actually, it is, isn't it? Because, um, again, when you look at the price of new cars and you look at what an extra costs on a brand new car, you know, you can pay £2,000 for a fancy interior, you know, leather with piping on it. And uh, well, I suppose it would also, if you pay £2,000 and you want to keep that car for 10 years, yeah. or you have kept that car for 10 years, yeah. That seems fairly bangonomics to me. But. Absolutely, yeah. I I think the first thing has to be, you, can you afford it? Because I, I just think it's a golden rule not to have to borrow to buy to buy a car. Because I just mm-hmm. think there's no reason that really that you know if you can't save you know a few hundred quid, then you're doing something wrong wrong with your life. You should be able to do that, and you can buy a perfectly functioning car. Because I get letters again from, all week from people who, who bought fantastic cars for 100 quid 150 quid you know it's got full mot um so it is possible to do um because there are a lot of cars out there i don't think there are any 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 particular rules um i mean i was just lucky that i came up with the with the name i i wrote an article in um a magazine called buying cars um the editor of that was a, a mr steve cropley i think oh may <laughs> and, uh, have heard of him <laughs> well i bought i bought uh, uh, an fso uh, and if you go to my Twitter profile, you'll see the picture of that car. And that cost me 80 quid. It was it was terrible. It was an awful, awful car. But it was 1989, I think it was. Um, and actually, cars were relatively, used cars were relatively expensive. You know, even then, you would still pay two, three hundred pounds. For a really- well, that was only, I mean, thinking about it as a, as a country, weren't we only just about getting our head around the idea of um, credit? For the for the majority of people, mm. because of the way that the government had done things, and I, I don't want to get into politics, no, because the, that's a very divisive time <laughs> uh, for, 
for all of us. So, but it wasn't that the big thing of oh no, you can you can get credit, you can buy, spend money, go and yeah. do these things. So, it it, it was still a. Uh, you know, we, we were transitioning into where, where we are now, where everyone just, you know, the price is now for a new car. No one looks at the, the full price. It's what what is it monthly? Exactly. No, that's right. Um, but I, I just think, yeah, if you if you apply the Banganomics principles, you can either get, the you know, you can get a, a better car than you ever thought you could buy, or you just get the right car for for the job, which 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 lasts a long time. Um Really, the rule, there are no rules to any of this, but actually, just buy a Japanese car. Basically, um, <laughs> that's always you know, if you buy a Mazda that two or three hundred quid, a Toyota or anything, a Honda or anything, actually, it's going to be pretty good. There are exceptions, and there are probably cars that haven't been looked after. But if you find a family-owned car that um, you know is a Japanese one, it's got service history, and you know, very few owners. Chances are that will last another 20, 30 years. Yeah. Uh, I, there's, a, there's a hard core of Honda Civic uh, owners who, who constantly write to me and they, and they say, you know, I've got this year 2000 Civic and it's still going. Mm. You know, it, it, well, you know, I, I got a C-Reg Accord mm. that had 99,000 miles on it when I bought it for not a lot of money because yeah. I didn't have money, but I just wanted a different car because I was going through that phase where I would go and get a different car. Not realising that perhaps that's not quite the best way to go around things. <laughs> Maybe you can keep them for a bit longer. Um, and it was wonderful. Yeah. It was, I had to, you know, I bought, there was new brakes all around I paid for because they were rubbish. But other than that, it was just wonderful. And it was, you know, that, that gave me a, a big love of, love of Hondas. Um, I mean, the, the Saab 9.3 I've got now, a 2001, 1,600 quid. Uh, but what attracted me to it was it had this same lady owner and it had done 53,000 miles. Well, there you go. And you just thought, actually, as long as, you know, and I went and kind of had a quick look at it, but as long as there's, you know, nothing falling off and it's not full of rust, that will probably be all right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it is. It is. It's It's not, it's, I mean, I, I had to, I've had to change a bulb. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all. I mean, I always find... As well, if I'm going up a crunchy drive, I'm I'm usually going to buy a very good car, and I've never had that. Um, you know, I, I've never that 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 has never fa- failed me ever. In that, I've always returned with a car that has lasted a good few years because it's been well looked after. It's usually in a in a big house in the country. Mm. It pays to be snobbish, and it, you know, it's a terrible thing to say is that you can look at something. You don't have to like them, but you can tell a lot about someone about whether they've looked after a car or not um and if they've looked after a car before you that's the that's the most that you can hope, hope for because yeah a head gasket can go the next day after you bought it a clutch can go the next day sometimes there are warning signs but i think 90 percent of buying a used car is actually luck um yeah. but you you you've got to hedge your bets a bit you know you can um you know not not make a stupid mistake by you know just um thinking uh laterally about it really um, well I, I was saying this in the last episode um talking about cars i was saying but i have so many cars from the past i would like to own that i don't really think as much about the ones that are you know new ones now because i'm going yeah but i still you know you know i fancy a w124 and you know then, and then there's others and then you know the, you go through all these older cars you know and i set myself 
I presume you have several saved eBay searches <laughs> for, you know, having certain criteria like age, mileage, that sort of thing, maybe even marks. <laughs> and then you just press it go and you look, oh, wow, God, is that all that is? And then you lose several hours, potentially. So I've heard, if my wife is listening. So I've heard, uh, when I should be working, um, <laughs> looking at these things. And it, it's just fascinating. You go, look what you can still get for not a lot of money. And we'll do a very, very good job for you. That's right, yeah. And I and I think that's wonderful. And, and as you said, you know, you, you go back 10 years in a car, 15 years even, uh, and it, they're not bad cars. No. Absolutely not, no. No, no, they're very good. I mean, we may be getting to that point, and I thought we might have reached that point by now in that uh, cars won't be re- repairable. Uh, I mean, certainly some garage people i've spoken to there is there is like a fixable age um and that really cars after maybe i don't know 2008 2009 they're starting to get to the point where you know you will have to throw them away um i was a a specialist last week um and his uh, uh he he had five cars in relatively new cars in for a brand new engine because the engines had exploded and what that was all it was it was People will tell you, you know, buy a car with a timing chain, it'll never break. Well, they do, you know. And he had minis, almost brand new minis. He had uh, BMW X3 in there, an X5. He had Mercedes. And he's all cars with exploded engines. And he said the quality, now he's been in the game for 40 years. And he said the quality of the parts is not what it was. There is a built-in obsolescence with cars now. Well, the, the other thing is that we're, we're trying to produce more and more. Um, and you know, what are these things generally being bought on? They're being bought on price, you know, in, as far as the manufacturer is with a minimum spec on quality. So the only people who lose out in all that are us. Yeah, really. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's right. Once it's out of warranty, the manufacturers go, well, Hey, that's it. That's the end of it. Yeah. Um, and you know, in a weird way, that's where I find myself writing mainly about used cars over the years. I'm in an area which nobody really cares about, apart from the reader. The readers are very enthusiastic about it. And, you know, I get fantastic emails from people telling me what they've bought and how great their car's been. And they're very enthusiastic about it. But car manufacturers aren't terribly keen to talk about older cars at all, which you can understand a bit because they want to sell brand new ones. Um, but um, I'm in an area where Actually, you can tell the truth. You can say those are rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because because who's who's going to come back to you now? Well, exactly. No, because you can go well. Here's the proof. Yeah, well, <laughs> the exactly. thing rotting in a drive, or you know, here's here's this one part that goes on every single model. Yeah, and that yeah, and and with the internet, we all get to know that now. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All the information is very democratically available. I mean, I mean, some of it's mad. I mean, some, you know, some of the forums, you know, some of the people are absolutely bonkers on there. But actually, as an average, you, you can find out everything you need to know. You don't need to uh, listen to what I'm saying. And actually, I probably spend less time saying that, you know, that widget drops off that than, you know, once upon a time, that was very useful to people. But now it's pointless. And you're better off just saying to people, 
talking about things in general terms. Look at these, look at those. These are cheap. Those are not. Don't buy these. Do buy those. And I think that's what my column in Autocar in particular, that's that's what it's about. I'm, I'm trying to balance this up here because we're, we're going everywhere. And, and but, but this is fascinating. I, I'm not, this is, that is by no means a complaint. This is, this is fascinating. We're going where the conversation is taking us. And that's what I always wanted to do with this show. Yeah. Um, right. You, you're at car. Okay, because you've just mentioned some writing there. So you're at car. <laughs> How long were you freelancing at car, and what did you move on to after? Um, well, was it car or during? Yeah, <laughs> well, that's right. Because you're a freelancer, so. Well, I was a freelancer, but the strange thing was, I, I had to change my name for certain things. And uh, there was a magazine called Performance Car, which you may remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I used to read it as Hot Car. There was a magazine called Hot Car in the in the seventies. Uh, that's way back, and that eventually became performance car. So that was quite an interesting thing. Is I used to love hot car, which was modified cars, and that became performance car. But when I went to write for them, um, if people are looking at old issues of performance car, they'll they'll read something by a chap called Eddie Riff, and that was me because I had to have a different <laughs> name because the publisher it was owned by said, "Oh, you can't write for them because all the people will get jealous from you writing there." And I, okay, well, fine. Actually, I was an idiot, and I should have said no. You know, that's my name. I really think I should go in that. So um, that's uh, I used to like use car stuff for them. I think eventually, I might have ended up with my own name by the very end of the magazine before it shut. Um, uh, and also, that uh, there was Car Week, which was a short-lived weekly mag- magazine that I think cost EMAP a million billion pounds to um, uh, actually run, um, and that was quite good uh, fun for a bit. Yeah, there was sort of classic car magazines and bits and bobs. Um, I, I did some TV things um, actually in the 90s. The 90s was, was, was quite a busy period in that I look at where I earned money from. It was all over the place. I used to write books um, and I used to do TV um, stuff for uh, Deals on deals on Wheels. Yeah, Mike Brewer program. Yeah, and I eventually, when it just ended up with him in it, I, um, I ended up being called an executive producer. I have no mm. idea what an executive producer is, but there you go. That's what I did. But I just used to write the scripts uh, for the show for that. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I was on Dealer's Choice. It was, it was one of the one of the launch on ITV2. This is how um, uh, um, uh, the level uh, that, that I got to. I was, it, was, it was the launch um, program for ITV2, and it was on Dealer's Choice, and it was car journalists, basically, um, going out and picking cars for um, some poor sap. It was like a reality show. And actually, it would work now in that, you know, there's Jenny, um, who's got two children and a dog, and says, you know, I want uh, a car to do this and that. So you pick two cars, you know, two bonkers cars. And, I think I remember that. Yeah, that's right. And I, I was involved with that. I did a wide variety of things, really. But I wrote loads of specialist magazines as well, uh, sort of mini and classic this and classic that. And I did drawings, I think, as well for Practical Classics. I did a bit of everything, really. And the 1990s were sort of very, very, very busy when it came to all those sorts of things. Um, but it was it was all huge fun. When did Bangonomics, when did you think, well, actually, I need to start my own site. When, when did that come about? Where were you work-wise? Uh, well, uh, well, the well, the book, the book came first in the old days. Um, in that, uh, I wrote the book in ni- nineteen ninety three. Mm-hmm. Websites really didn't 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 arrive until 
um, no. sort of the mid two thousands for things like that. I was I was always okay. I could actually build um, a website with code and stuff. Uh, I, I learned how to do that. I, I couldn't God, do it God, now. no end to your. I'm going off you intensely here. All this stuff you're going out. The skills. Fortunately, I'm a I'm a very mean person. Someone said, "Well, I'll charge you, you know, several thousand pounds to do that." Oh no, I'll do that myself. Surely I can do that myself. <laughs> so I think I think that's what it boils down to. I, you know, I, I quite like doing things like that. So, but there again, I should have been a lot brighter. There was a lot of work around for writers as well uh, with the internet because people wanted had to put things onto the internet. So mm. at that time, there was uh, tons of space. I did a lot of work for Channel Four um, around that time. There was uh, the Four Car uh, website as well. So there was so there was a lot of work um, in a way putting yourself out of work in the future by doing work then, um, and. Uh, so, yep, so um, it was all sorts of stuff. But Bangonomics, yes, it was just a, a thing. It, it's a name that has called, that, that's caught on so that um, when I'm dead and people say Bangonomics, maybe a little part of me will, will, will survive in that. And there was, who came up with that? Oh, James Rutherford, there you go. So I'll be slightly remembered for that. Um, uh, <laughs> that's going to be on your tombstone. I might be remembered for Bangonomics. <laughs> because I've seen it apply to so many things and someone said do I have to pay you when I say it well it'd be great if you did yes lots of money yes well, this is it. all my lawyers will come see you and I'm one of them because I'm qualified <laughs> well no, I, you know people if they want to use Bangalore because as I say I just gave a word to it Every, everybody has done it in their own way people have, have always done that people have, have always run older cars and kept them going uh, in their own special way uh, and there's probably all sorts of different um ways of referring to that i know americans call them beaters i think old old cars we call them bangers and i just really like that it just it just seems to go well the book yeah the book was uh, was fine i've never made a lot of money from books particularly uh but i got a bit bit of exposure from that and that's why why people again sort of remember um stuff i've done sim- simply because of that and people used to like the website when it started but as i said uh, people aren't as bothered by websites anymore. Um, but yeah, Car Magazine, I, I, I stayed with until about, I think it was two, two, 2006, beginning of two, 2006, and I went to Autocar. Um, uh, I mean, also in, in TV, I had a few little skirmishes with Top Gear. Top Gear, actually, in the 1980s, when it, it was deeply unfashionable to be involved with it, I actually had a meeting with, yeah, I, I had a meeting with uh, a producer. I think her name was Judy Hill. And... I think what I was being asked was, do you want to be involved with it? And it was such an, unf- it really, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say because I, all those old people who are involved, involved with it, Chris Coffey, I've met a few times and he's a fantastic bloke. I do adore him because he, he, he bought a car because he, I wrote about it in car magazine. He bought a Mercedes directly as a result and he was very happy. Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, what a fantastic, you know, and Angela Ripple's it. And actually, now it's very cool, but at the time, and also yeah, but it, it had to t- it required oh, yeah, a that, rebirth, didn't it? Of quite yeah, epic proportions. Yeah, but I mean, it now seems like the most stupid decision in the world, you know, not to be involved with it in some way. And that happened to me a couple of times before it all. No, but they were di- they were different things. They, they were, were diff- different, different things, absolutely. And I thought, well, I'm busy on other things, and. There's possibly thinks, well, would I want to be involved in all that and, you know, and have all those millions? No, not really. Um, uh, I, I'm quite happy with uh, the way the, the way things went. But, it, but, the, but the feeling was at the time, certainly around Car Magazine, 
was they sort of said it's a bit naff i wouldn't be involved with that so i thought oh okay then i don't think i will i'll stay with 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 the uber cool car uh, and writing things because that that's that's the way to go um where so don't ask me about the future or anything because obviously i don't know that um and i did do and um, actually when uh, top gear did metamorphosize into just three people i did do a bit of script work uh for a while but Strangely enough, I used to supply all this material and then and they never used it. And so, again, I was really stupid. And I said, I think you should stop paying me because you're not using any of my any of my words, because <laughs> obviously they came up with better <laughs> with better words. Um, so I was an uncredited person there. But I, I dealt with Andy Wil- Wil- Wilman and obviously I knew James May from Car Magazine. And I think what 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 they created there was was absolutely fantastic because it was an entertainment show. And um, yes. I, I think for all of that, um, it's, you know helped us in so many ways in that you know it has got cars and appreciation of cars and love of cars and i think to a much wider audience than um uh, would have been i mean we're all anorous really but actually I think oh yeah we're total that- geeks in this we're in this tiny little corner of the internet where we get to chat to each other and that's brilliant yeah however top gear and i've always said this top gear has made liking cars acceptable in public Absolutely. At a time when it wasn't really, it had it, gone, you, you're, you're a nerd, you're a geek, whatever, um, because they made an entertainment show that just happened to use cars and be sort of around cars most of the time. That's it, that's it, that's it. And that's, it's wonderful for it. it. Of course, yeah. And the new, new Top Gear has carried that on. Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, the last series that has just finished recently, I think, did an excellent job. Um, I don't think they managed to offend many people this time. So that's, you know, big ticks because that's what now the mainstream press are waiting for any car, com- uh, any car uh, show. Who are you offending? Because uh, we want to leap up and down on that. Um, I think they did a great job of making it entertaining again. No, that's right. That's absolutely correct. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, so, so I have a failed TV career. Um, uh, uh, I'm not very, I mean, writing books. I mean, I, t- I tell you, what, I would never tell anybody to write books unless they're really, uh, unless you, you know, unless you do something like a uh, uh, a Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, you know. Oh, but the, no, the, we the, don't the, need well, more of that. Terrible, but uh, 50, Fifty Shades of uh, Primer un- uh, Undercoat. Um, you know, you're never going to get. You're never going to make money from it. But as a portfolio of things, people people have said to me that it's a portfolio career so that that's the way it's a, it's a terrible it's a terrible phrase but they're probably correct in that you end up doing lots of different things that sort of mm. add, add up to the greater good um so uh yeah i mean i uh, i fetched up at autocar which is a very good place because uh, they adore cars and again they 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 leave me alone to get on with myself so um i'm surprised in most things that i haven't been sacked um for things i've written i think i've caused some trouble there uh, on occasions with things I've said, um, but it all seems to pass off okay. Um, but they're very good people to be with. But, yeah. okay, now I mean, you're being a bit pithy there, but this is this is an important thing. And again, if we're going to, if anybody younger is listening, I mean, this is something that Alan and I decided long before we actually produced a, or released a first show, is we said, right, we, and, and this is something I think it comes across in your writing very much so, is that we're going to tell what we feel is the truth. And we're not going to follow gossip. And um, if it is our opinion, we will make it very clear, this is our opinion on this thing, backed up by these facts. 
And I think that comes, I mean, not necessarily quite as strong like that for what you do because you don't need to do that. But it's just that ethos. I think that comes across in your writing that you're not, um, it's not like you're worried about uh, offending people because you you are able to back it up by saying, no, no, this this is my opinion because of these things. And I, I will stand by these things and we can have a conversation about it. And if, if at the end of it, I see your point of view and I disagree, uh, you know, and I agree with where you're coming from, I will say that. But I am not going to change it just because. And I am not, therefore, just going to slag someone off just because either. No, that's right. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. Um, there are times when you actually don't feel as though you're a proper journalist, really, because you just write about nonsense cars and Rover SD1s and things like that. And you know, it's not really very important. But very occasionally I did. I used to. Well, I, I still do some stuff for for the independent newspaper. Um, and in 1997, I did what um, what politicians drive Um and it was just after Labour were elected. And I think Mr. Prescott said, oh, I'm going to get everyone out of their cars within five years or something. And so I thought, oh, right. And th- you, you actually can't do this now because I, I sort of tried it. But you could phone up the opposites and say, what car does this MP drive? So that's what I did um, because they won't do it now for security reasons and all sorts of silly things like that. Um, but that caused, um, I mean, I, I, I had John Prescott on, on the phone to me. The, the, the independent were were... I don't know, sissies, I don't know. They were just, they were so frightened by the whole thing. Um, but he ended up speaking to me, but they, they patched him through to me so that he could tell me off for telling the world uh, what cars he had because uh, he just didn't like it at all. But in a way, that sort of proved the point. Um, I mean, it, first of all, it proved that he had a very thin skin that mm. you know, like me could upset him um, because all I was just making the point. So what cars do they drive? You know, they go on about, you know, knowing about um, transport and so forth, although all the legislation that's been passed by whatever uh, colour government proves that they have no clue at all as to how cars work. How I know, they- I, get, I get very angry with the Transport Committee every time they open their mouths. That's it. Well, the, the problem with something as basic as transport is it becomes politicised. So, you know, you drive through areas where there's speed bumps and so forth, and then they wonder why everyone's choking. Um, well, that could be because everyone's going three miles an hour over speed bumps. So but everything becomes a political <laughs> thing. You know, CO2, it's a naturally occurring gas. If you just think, if only they'd have asked. You see, there are times when I, I can't forgive the motor industry, and they've, they've got clever people in there who should have said to governments, look, you're barking up the wrong tree with this. You know, I know you want us to produce more and more diesels, but actually this isn't the way to go. Mm. And I think there was enough intelligent people, not 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 me, there's far there's people who know far more about the environment than than I do, who obviously weren't weren't asked, but they just went for the simple solution. So part of the reason for doing an article like that is I suppose basically because I hate all politicians, I suppose, uh, is just that they, 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 they make, you know, life much more difficult than it should be. And that's without yeah. being a party political thing. You just think they just involve themselves and you know, well, so. no, no, none of them. Well, the stuff that comes has come out in the last, well, probably forever, but certainly since I've been paying attention to it, um, there's been no clever thought. No, because someone has someone has to be penalised heavily mm. in a solution. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, a- we're seeing that with the toxicity charge and the ultra low emissions and cities that are going to ban diesels. Is people are being penalised because. Uh, of a poor decision that was made many years ago, yeah. and no one is applying clever thinking now. No one is thinking, 
three, four, five layers below the initial question. That's right. Or the initial answer. And at the minute, uh, or seemingly, all we are getting is the gut reaction response, and that's it, then they're going to run with it. And yeah. you think, nothing's that simple. There needs to be a multiple of things that fix that's right. a problem. That's right. Well, I mean, it is the Bangonomics solution to this in that why get rid of a perfectly functioning car um, and buy a new one? Because, you know, the, the, you know, making new cars, if you if you want to, you know, have an impact on the environment, the amount of uh, environmental damage making a new car to replace a perfectly good car that's been scrapped for no apparent reason, it's nuts, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So you just say to people, well, OK, you've got that car. I know it's a diesel car, but, you know, just stick with it. You know, you'll run it for 10, 15 years. That's great. But instead, they're going to be told, well, here's a thousand pounds to go and buy another new one. So they'll have to go and buy it. I know it's a self-perpetuating system. It's what it's what the car industry wants. But it well, is, yeah, no wonder they came out and said, oh, this is a great idea. That's right. But, <laughs> really? You do surprise me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but really, the, you know, the Bangonomic thing, you know, Bangonomics is, 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 is the most, it's the greenest way possible. You know, you, mm. you extend the life of something. And that's that's all you're doing, and that's that's the kindest thing you can ever do, and yeah. I, I think more people should do it. Um, they don't Unless you're going to ban them all and say yeah. we're walking everywhere all of a sudden. Well, there you go. That may that may well happen. Right. Okay. I want to get back to your. So you, sorry. No. Before I go there. So you're at Autocar. You've been there consistently since yeah, 2006. 2006. So yeah. So it's uh, I, I've been there a fair while now. Um, what are the types of, if anybody's not read them, and again, shame on them, um, but what are the types of articles that you write well, or, mainly, well, or I, are involved in? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a column in there every week where I spout nonsense about um, uh, the used car market. And uh, <laughs> if people can pay attention to or, or dismiss You're not selling it, you know. <laughs> I'm not at all. Um, uh, Deeply actually, thought out and it, really it is, interesting. Absolutely. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, but people seem to like it because we, that's that's why it's still there. Um, and also in it, actually, um, if anybody's listening to this wonderful uh, pod, pod, podcast, uh, if they have a used car that they love and adore, um, that they're very pleased that they bought, it doesn't have to be a Bangonomic one, it can be a relatively recent car, I will feature that in there because the stories that people have about how they come across a car, how they run a car, you know, it only costs them five fiver or it, or it costs them this or they got it off an old lady for nothing – is fascinating, and that's what people like. So I, I, I will, I will include your car. You can have a picture of it. The picture will go in there, and there's a little story on it. And actually, that's one of the most popular things. But I tell you what, tr- uh, convincing people that their cars are special in their own way is very difficult. I get people say to me, "Well, oh, yeah, I've got this car. It was a prototype. Hey, it was a prototype. Really, tell me more." You know, so <laughs> you know, people don't. So, they don't, they, don't, they don't think their cars are special, you know, and there's, um, there was somebody the other way. I think they did pay 30 quid for this Peugeot and they, they just said it won't die. It was, it's a 205 and it's, and it looked terrible. And he just said, well, I would get rid of it, but it passes the MOT every year and it keeps going. So I'll stick with it. So you think <laughs> these are fantastic stories, you know, and they're funny stories and they're bright stories. So yeah, there is the real. It puts a human element on it. It does. It does because you know, you know, everybody enjoys that sort of thing. Yeah, and and, and that's not a dissimilar um, thing I'm finding when I ask people to come on here. People go, "Well, no one's going to listen to me." But no, no, right? Trust me on this one. Um, trust me, you've got an interesting story. Everyone has an interesting story. 
let's just sit and chat and the interesting story will come out. Trust me on this one. And, and, and it's like what you're saying about the car there. It is because we're all so wrapped up in our own things. We don't, how often do we take a step back and look at these things? No, we don't do we, we don't. No. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I know. And I think the, uh, the people's, uh, own car, uh, articles are are fascinating because you you get a glimpse into someone's thought process as well yeah, that's right you know they've picked something for a particular reason and not always financially as well you know there's, there's particular reasons they went for the thing they went for and that's that's great to see okay i want to now um take a leap back to your car history all right okay yeah i'll i'll, I'll uh, run through this because um they're probably getting quite annoyed that um, I've only told you about three cars. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you see, uh, yeah, working at Park Lane, that really, you see, what I, I had in my uh, car background, I have no Alfa Romeos, I have no French cars uh, at all, I have no Fords, I have no Vauxhalls. And that's purely because of working at Park Lane. Because uh, with Alfa Romeos, like you're supposed to own one, well, technically I did for about half an hour. So I bought it off a customer and drove it down the road and sold it for more than I had it. So I owned it. I thought, yeah, it looks okay. All the, you know, the gears a bit weird and, you know, the pedals are over the place and, you know, it's, it's designed for a monkey and all that sort of stuff. But you know, it's an alpha, but you know, I've driven it down the road and now I can get rid of it. Uh, Cause it'll probably rust, you know, in five minutes. So I, so I got all those cars out of, out of my system. You know, there was, you know, terrible Citroëns and Renaults, even though now they look really nice, but you know, you wouldn't Don't want, tell Gavin that he'll cry. Well, you wouldn't want one in the 1980s, you know, they were, awful awful things and so uh that you know made my mind up is that all i was going to have basically was german cars i i just went into loads of golf so so when i left park lane um uh and was working on my own i had well i had the cars of the moment so i i bought mark ii G, gtis i had a few of those did then, you have the um the the little black dress as well and the <laughs> and the <laughs> Well, sometimes there might have been one of them in the passenger seat, but I, you know, I, I, ah. I um, but uh, it was it was the car to have at the moment. It was great to drive; it wouldn't break down, and uh, it was tough as tough as anything. And um, you probably got pretty much your money back when you sold it, and it was great. Everyone wanted it, and again, those that's another car that I should have um, shoved into a corner and kept. Um, but yes, I had a few. Don't, don't look at those anymore. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> how rich would i be right i had four doors two doors and all sorts so so they were so they were great um uh there was a little polo that we had along the way as well which was uh, great the the bread van style mm-hmm. um and then when sort of family happened in the 1990s i went out and i i went into saabs so yeah i bought Ooh. i bought the saab 9000 Oh, what a magnificent um, vehicle that is, you know, and again, you know, so you're not paying through the nose for a Mercedes or a BMW, you're, you're buying a Saab that actually people don't always want. The Saabs, interestingly, were part of uh, when you were doing sales training for BMW, your worst case scenario was somebody with a Saab because they had an inflated opinion of its value. <laughs> so you were taught <laughs> how, to, how to let them down gently by saying, well, it's Swedish, sir. It's not, you know, um, you know, we can't give you uh, quite as much as you paid for it a couple of years ago and all that sort of stuff. But as you know, Saabs are incredible cars. It's such a shame that uh, they're no longer with us. Yes. But I went through um, half a dozen 9,000s because they were just such brilliant cars. You do, you know, a million miles in them. 
they were comfortable as other seats. I've never had more comfortable seats in a car ever. Um, and we just had one after one after the other after the other, and it was a safe place to to put our daughter. Um, mm-hmm. So it was it was the perfect car for us. My wife enjoyed driving it as well, and they were huge. I mean, it, you could get so much in them, they were absolutely massive. Yeah, and uh, they were. I'm blown away by the boot on mine. Mm. I mean, it's the uh, it's 2001, so it's the sort of slightly curvy shape before they went um, to the modern 9.3 or the last 9.3 version. And it's a, and so it's a hatchback, um, but the boot is massive. Yeah, because it's got that curvy bottom. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, no, they're great. So, yeah, loads of Saabs. I went back to BMWs as well. I bought E34 uh, Fire Series. I bought uh, I bought the Touring that uh, I mentioned and ran that for a while. I, I did have a Saab 900, which a lot of people would think was a uh, a Vauxhall Cavalier address. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I actually that was a, that was a great car, and I, I, I ran that um, uh, into the two thousands. Um, but really, these days I just buy BMWs. Um, really, uh, with uh, the worst car we've had recently was uh, a Land Rover Discovery, and that was uh, the worst car in the world. It wasn't that cheap um, because it was uh, for my wife, but eventually everything gave up, and you know, it's suspension and gear. Which box. mark was it? It was the uh, Discovery Two. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think that was probably a Model Two far for them at, at the time, and that was a tiny bit too com- complex. Um, I mean, it was a few years old, but it, you know, uh, had a full service history and everything done to it, and and then more needed doing to it after we started running it. So we had about mm. a year when it was okay, and then after that, it was just one thing after another. It was just unbelievable. And the thing was, is that um, I mean, actually, I. I asked the garage man to look at uh, a certain part of it, and I actually thought he was going to cry. He was so upset, you know, that he'd, he'd been bashing his head against this thing. He, I really, he's a grown bloke. He's, he's like a massive uh, bloke, you know, a blokey bloke. And I could see, his, I could see his eyes welling up in that he was so, he was so worn down by it. You know, he was, he was so, it was, it was electrics, it was mechanical, it was all these things had conspired to sort of spoil his day. And he really wasn't very happy with it at all. And uh, eventually um, I just had it towed away. You know, I got about 500 quid for it, which I suppose isn't too bad. But um, it was just an awful, awful car. Um, Had a Jaguar for a while. I've had a few um, XJs over the years um, and they were they were very good. But again, I bought it from a specialist and he actually said to me, he said, if I was you, I wouldn't bother servicing it or anything. He said, just run it until it until it drops because he said it's just it's just not worth it and actually he was right even though i did look after it but um uh it started to not work on occasions and then suddenly work so you'd be driving along and everything would stop and then you'd sort of um uh, well that's that's a um a moment that oh, yeah, uh, will yeah. will wake you up it happened make, it make sure there's no nodding off of the wheel <laughs> no, that's right so it would all all and you think oh and then i I, uh, I asked my garage to have a look at it, and they said, no, we can't spot anything. So I sold it to um, a Jaguar Specialist, a breaker's yard, and I drove it there. And that was the last time it moved, because they rang me up about an hour later and said, how did how you, you get this to start? I said, well, I don't know. I said, you've bought it. You know, it's yours now. It's got nothing to do with me. So that was absolutely perfect timing in that I'd driven it there. It stopped. I gave them the key. They gave me 
a few hundred quid and I walked away happy. So, you know, uh, sometimes you can get the timing right if you're very, very lucky. So, yeah. So, but for me, uh, more famously, a few years ago, I, I, I did buy a seven series for 500 pounds and that is, uh, unarguably one of the best cars that I've ever, um, uh, run because, it never over four and a half years. There were a few little suspension bits, but on the whole, it never cost me anything. You know, it was it was a free car. You know, so uh, uh, until the radiator split, and uh, I couldn't do anything about that. Um, uh, it was you know a car that was comfortable. yeah. Radweld will not fix that. No, that's right. So or I the just, egg, the little egg trick. Exactly. So <laughs> I just got rid of it, but that was four and a half years of, you know, everything worked on it. Um, I think that is, it was an E38 one. And, uh, according to mechanics, that's the very last of the fixable, um, BMW. So E38, E39, so that's the five series and the seven series, those ones you can still, and actually I had a few electrical things on there that I took off, put on and it worked again. So it, it was a car that you, that you actually could still fiddle with. Um, mm. It's just very comfortable, and actually, I would I would get over thirty miles to the gallon, and that was a petrol, huge petrol car. So wow. I was very happy with that. Um, and then I replaced that with a, a five series diesel for a while. Um, but yeah, so it's it's it, yeah. So I've had lots of uh, BMWs and Golfs and uh, Saabs, um, but relatively none um, Alfa Romeos um, or Lancers <laughs> or or anything like that. Um, and the only other stuff I have are like classic uh, cars that I that I keep. Um, the most recent purchase is a, uh, a BMW 320, uh, which if, if people have been following me in auto car will have seen it there. Um, is that the gold one? It's the gold one. That's right. That's how yes. you can see it from space. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, it's 1970s gold, uh, trophy wife spec with air conditioning. <laughs> um, as it said in the brochure. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, uh, but the, I had to buy, it was one of those things. Um, I mean, it's, it's all the things that you, that you shouldn't do. Um, and I, I've written about this in free car mag in that, um, uh, it was, it was the first of that type that I'd seen. I mean, first of all, it's, it, it, it's a nostalgia thing. It takes me back. I wasn't quite old enough to sell brand new E21s, but E21s were around and actually they made them up to 82. Um, and at Park Lane, we used to have uh, manual 316s, uh, sorry, automatic 316s that you had to service loan cars because the customer couldn't kill those. So um, uh, we used to recycle those and sell those. And I just liked them. I mean, I mean, the, you know, the look of them, you know, the sort of baby shark look is just fantastic. And um, when I saw this very late at night, um, alcohol may have been involved. I don't know. I couldn't possibly comment. And I looked at it and I just thought, oh, wow, that car looks good in that picture on the Internet. Um, and I, I asked the chap some questions about it and, um, it seemed to get better and better. And when I went to see it, there wasn't any rust on it. And if you're going to buy an older car, if it's got no rust on it, you've, you've got to buy it. Um, <laughs> that's the law. You really have. Yeah, that's, but, that's your one bangonomics rule. Yeah, uh, well, that's one rule, just one rule for buying a classic car. If it's, you know, it doesn't matter <laughs> if the engine's blown up or anything or the wheels hanging off. Don't worry if it's a solid body, cause that's what costs you, you know, uh, that's the thing that, you know, when you have a car restored, that costs you an absolute arm and a leg. Um, and this one, for some reason, it has spent some time abroad in, in Italy. And I think that might have contributed to the fact that it's not rusty. Um, yeah, but apart from that, it does have a terrible paint job, but it's a bright paint job. Um, so it looks good, So, but it isn't perfect. Um, and I don't know whether I want to make it perfect uh, in, uh, in particular. 
Um, but it's just a lovely car to drive. And obviously it acts as a time machine to me is that I feel 23 again, which is at my age. That's what I want to feel is 23 again. Um, <laughs> so it works from that point of view. And um, yeah, I did look at all, I did look at things like Bentleys and so forth. So I thought, oh, well, let's go mad. Um, but actually that's all I want. I want uh, it's, um, you know, it's the type of car that is not made anymore. That's why I like it. Nobody makes a small saloon with a six cylinder engine. And that's exactly what it is. It's a it's a class of car that has disappeared forever. But you but it has tiny 13 inch wheels, lovely Alpina alloys. But to drive it, the ride quality is, is astounding. You know, compared to modern cars that are uh, bashing all over the place, um, it, it's so smooth. Mm. It's you know, absolutely amazing. You know, you could you could teach you know ch- chassis engineers so much from this. They will go for a ride in that, and then you'll find out what's wrong with all your cars. Um, but you know, uh, don't go round uh, a wet roundabout in it because then you will be pirouetting off into uh, safe ways, probably. Um, but uh, uh, if you, but if you take it easy, um, it's a it's a lovely car. So I'm very pleased to have that. So at my time of life, I, I know that's probably a question you're going to come to at some point about um, um, what cars am I going to buy or not buy or mm. so forth. I I think I said uh, in auto car that I was done in that. I've, you know, I've got all the cars I want and in a strange way I have. Um, but obviously that's, that's a, that's a huge lie because I, I obviously will end up buying something at some stage, um, you know, uh, probably for someone else in my family. So I'll, 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 I'll still be buying cars, but I'd like to think for myself, I'm, I'm quite happy with what I have. I'm, you know, I'm content, you know, I've got, I've got sort of. So how big's your fleet right now? Well, personally, uh, I mean, it is only three three cars just, just the three but you see uh, i'm going to so you've uh, got your mini you've got your bm what's right. what's number three I've land rover i've got the uh, series three land rover series three right yes of course so that's uh, yeah that's for bashing about in and uh, uh but they're all they're, they're just three it's three unique driving experiences i have there mm. um and i remember every journey and, and needs mm, yeah three different needs yeah oh it is absolutely yeah i mean the, you know the mini uh, cooper is is completely fun um, you know, there is nothing better than that. Um, you can um, fool yourself that you're a great driver, but you're not. It's just because the Mini will hold on however fast you go around a corner. Yes. As simple as that. That's, <laughs> that. that's what it will do you. But there's a lot of drama. There's lots of noise, and it just feels great. And people are pleased to see you. You know, people beam as they see a Mini. They just And people will talk to you in service stations. And, um, you know, you get people say really nice things to you. And, it's, and it's a re- you know, it brings out the best in people, and that's why it's so nice to have. Um uh, I mean, tomorrow actually, I'm going to Reading, which uh, I think is twinned with Hades as um, a sort of, you know, a hell on earth, really. And um, Mrs. Crack Windscreen will agree with you completely yeah. on that point. <laughs> um, so, in theory, I should be taking my BMW, but actually, I'll be taking my wife's X5 because that'll be better. And it's got a radio because my other car hasn't got a radio in it yet. So, I, I've sort of, I've been quite bad. I've chickened out of, uh, of 150 mile journey there and 150 mile back in an old car and i thought oh no i'll take i'll take mrs ruppert's car um so you know i should actually be uh, taking my 320 because actually that that would do the journey um without any and it was designed for journeys like that you know mm. uh, six cylinder engine so once i've got the radio sorted out then then i will do because otherwise i'll just be talking to myself like now it's, you know I'll, I'll just be pretending that i'm talking to you uh, <laughs> <laughs> for you know for 300 miles and you know that could, that could send me over the edge what well, if i'd known that was going to happen i'd have phoned you tomorrow 
<laughs> Kept you entertained. <laughs> okay, right then. So we, we've gone through your um, wonderful car history. Actually, I'm deeply jealous by that. Um, again, again, I'm, I'm going off you once more. Um, but I, I want to briefly touch back on something we have discussed a little bit. And that's uh, online content and the internet and the current state of motoring. I'm going to call it content for the sake of argument because there's writing, there's uh, there's YouTube, there's podcasts, uh, there's there's a, there's a wide variety of ways in which people are um, producing things about cars now. What are your thoughts about that at the moment? Well, I think it's great that there's uh, probably more choice than there ever has been. Um, uh, but you've got to choose carefully, I think, is the, uh, is the watchword. I mean, you're doing very, very important work. Um, and again, I think if you'd have thought, thought about it a few years ago, you'd say, well, someone's talking about cars for an hour. That, that can't be very interesting. But actually, it's absolutely fascinating. And it, it, it is the perfect accompaniment for a journey to Reading and back, probably, to listen to, you know, your podcast. So, you know, that's that. that you know, that is what people should be doing. I think it's great that there's much more variety there. Um, there is, I don't know whether there can be too too much of a good thing, um, but uh, obviously the uh, what there isn't, I suppose, uh, is a filter, and that's and that's what you did have years ago is that you would have filter for different things um and so you would probably read the very best which is why car magazine as it was was the very best and the pinnacle of what it is um as a monthly and and pretty much autocar is is probably the best weekly that you can buy not saying it's related but you happen to be involved with both those well, they, well, that's, that's yeah. a strange coincidence <laughs> Oh, I don't think, well, the, the thing that you learn about uh, working on ma- magazines like that, it's a bit like selling cars, is that, you know, after you sell, you sell cars at a big show, and you think, well, I, I could do that. But actually, you can't, because there's so many people making it work for you. So there's, you know, there's mm-hmm. been the cars, there's, there's all sorts of, uh, and it's a bit like a very good magazine, like Autocar or Car, is that there are so many other people who make you better. So you have sub-editors, which uh, you don't have on the internet um really um who do make your words sound far better than they really should um so what what do you think makes good writing i don't i don't think you can be taught how how to do it you've got to want to do it you should be able to write about anything it's someone it's it's like phil llewellyn was absolutely brilliant um in that you you know he could have written about anything at all he could have written about you know, the fate in his local village. And he you would have laughed, you would have had fun, and he would never have mentioned a car. It's a bit like Russell Bolgin as well. You know, you, you, you know that they could have written about anything else and it would have been just as good. And that is the thing is that I think the mistake people make is that, well, what they do and young people do is that, well, if I write like Jeremy Clarkson, and Jeremy Clarkson is an absolutely superb writer. And you, you probably can do a pastiche of that. But, again, he has the ability to write about other things. You can read his other columns. They're just as funny as what he writes about cars. That mm. is the key to it. You, you've got to be able to write about everything. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a general skill. The fact that you're specifically interested in, in cars I, you know, is neither here nor there. Um, you know, that's great that you can channel it into that. But, you, but you've got to make everything interesting. When I first thought I could write, I would write about, any, I would write about holidays and you know things not to do with cars and that's what i would say to young to youngsters 
is that, you know, find find something you're not interested in and do a bit of research on it and write something about that. You know, so so it's something you're not at all passionate about, but you can make it interesting and, you know, um, and you make it come come to life. So, um, yeah, yeah I, that's, that's I, very I, good. That, that, I, uh, yes, I, I like that. So, OK, then to step this up again, um, as you as you are an editor, what makes good editing? Well, I mean, I'm. Uh, I mean, I, it is a bit like being a captain of a ship, really, um, which means that you're responsible for everything. And if anything goes wrong, it, it is your, your fault. When you when you when you hit the iceberg, that is your fault. Um, and even if you don't hit the iceberg, and you know, as a man overboard, that is your fault. You know, so you're responsible for absolutely everything. I'm quite lucky that I control just about everything that I do, um, and in a way, I'm a curator of stories. A lot of the stories that I have. Are stories that are available to everybody, but I maybe put a twist on them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's what I it's what I enjoy doing. Um, I, I mean, if I didn't know how much fun it was to be an editor, I'd have done it years ago. Um, because you you know you can do so much to it. But um, I'm lucky that I have a relatively small amount of people to deal with, and maybe I've done that as a deliberate um, uh, uh, policy. Uh, I have a lot of respect for people like Jim Holder, who whose responsibilities. Uh, you know, and if his ship, um, you know, crashes or, 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 or runs aground, it's a bigger deal than me uh, because, you know, I can control what, 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 what I'm doing. But, you know, he's responsible for a lot of people uh, and, uh, uh, you know, and, and brands which, you know, you, you could possibly kill overnight if you make the wrong decisions. So, I, I you know, pe- people like Jim are fantastic. Um, but it's what you have, as I say, it's the ability to bring different people together, different stories together and just to see a bigger picture. Uh, really, you've got to see where you're going. You're on that bridge, as we're going to murder that metaphor to death. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to do boats. We're going to do boat me- me- metaphors. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, it, I, to me, it's great fun. But hey, maybe I'm a pirate. Maybe I'm Jack Sparrow uh, of the editing world. You know, there's all these other people on on liners, and I'm on this little tiny black pearl ship um crashing about in between them going my own way <laughs> i didn't expect it to go into that direction you didn't you're you're now marking it so well you i better get rid of all this um uh, <laughs> not oh. at all not at all no 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 stays in stays in <laughs> james ruppert the the pirate king of uh the editing world excellent right i've made a new strap line for you now okay. you have to change your twitter profile and everything <laughs> Okay, um, I think we need to come on to the quickfire questions. Okay, yeah, I'll be quickfire. Because uh, I'm conscious this this is uh, your evening I am taking up here. Nice. And um, yeah, at some point you may want to go to sleep. So uh, rather than me it's keep... Before I go to Reading, yes. Yes, rather than on the road to Reading. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to start with the first one that yeah. I normally start with, which is what currently excites you about the motoring world? Uh, I find it very difficult to get overexcited. I mean, what I find fascinating is that the engineers are so clever. If you sort of said to them, um, you know, can you make a, uh, an engine, you know, to run on dragon's breath? Uh, they probably find a way of doing it. They are, they are that clever. You know, it, it is that, you know, when you look at the MPG figures, uh, you know, and compare them with 30 years ago, it's, it's phenomenal, really. Mm. Um, and I think they can do anything they want. And, you know, the conversation we had earlier, just I think it's just they just listen to the politicians and go, yeah, OK, fine, we'll 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 do that. Um, and sometimes I do think, you know, they should sort of say, well, actually, 
doing it this way would be even better. Um, you know, I just think they are going to come up with uh, fantastic things um, which are better than they are now. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm slightly, you know, I'm not, not the biggest electric car fan, although I'm a lapsed member of the Battery Vehicle Society, no less. Um, and uh, uh, there was lots, lots of people with beards and sandals uh, when I was there, but, and it was fascinating. Uh, and they and I yeah I rem, I remember going for a drive in a in a metro that had a milk float um, uh, um, motor in it and it was very very clever but I did think this will never catch on uh, and of course it has um, uh, and there are very good examples of it and a Nissan Leaf you can't ar- argue with but I I just think they will come up with with cleverer things and uh, we're probably going to go down the um, you know route. Um, uh, where there's zero emissions and you know it's it's going to be um i'm trying to think of the the fuel that i'm trying to think of it's not biofuel i'm trying to think of hydrogen hydrogen there you go i'm str- I was struggling there to think what on earth was i thinking of uh yeah i think hydrogen seems to be the future in that you know um you know you've only got water coming out of your tailpipe i don't think how you can be better than that and you've still got what is effectively an internal combustion engine. And so you, I'd like to think that they could modify um, all my old cars in a few years' time so they become hydrogen. So you just plug something in and it's a hydrogen car all of a sudden. I mean, that may be incredibly naive. But um, again, I just I just think engineers and the engineers I've met over the years seem so clever. I think they'll probably do that. Well, that sounds wonderful. That, that does. I like that. I like that. Uh future you've just painted for us and i want to keep that one okay then so what worries you about the battering world um ro- robot cars actually um the, the enthusiasm for self-driving cars um now i did notice earlier in, in the day i think on one of your twitter feeds you were saying to people actually um uh, self-driving cars might help because people are such bad drivers which is true mm. um, but in certain circumstances i agree yeah. um with certain drive there, there are certain journeys and with a large proportion of drivers that autonomous vehicles makes a lot of sense for. However, no, that's right. yeah. there, is, well, there is a big however in that. That's right. Well, it, it would help me to get to Reading tomorrow, wouldn't it? There you go. If I mm. press the button and certainly around the M25 and M4 where, you know, it would just do the dirty work for me, then, okay, I, I can see a point in it. But I think it's the enthusiasm that governments have for self-driving cars makes me very suspicious. And I, I put a tin four hat on. And just think, yeah, they want... Self- You're amongst friends when you do that here. Yeah. Well, that, that's it. And you just think, well, I think it's because they just think, okay, we can press a button and um, turn off every car that's plugged in or we can we know where everybody goes. And that, you know, it's all very 1984 and George Orwell. And I start to think, I don't really think I like a, a world where everybody knows where everybody's going all of the time. And however they justify it, I just think, well, I don't think that's the case. And it just it just seems to be making people stupider as well. Um uh, I, I well, it's it's not around the corner like it's being painted out to be either. No, no. It's it, to be properly autonomous for most of the time. That's not going to be here in ten years' time. No, no. I, I think the only way it will happen uh, in any realistic manner is if they create autonomous vehicle lanes like bus lanes. Mm, yes. In yes. Cer- on certain roads in certain areas. You know, shuttle runs to airports, that sort of thing. No, that's right. Um, and that's when it will happen. But it won't happen for the vast majority of us. It certainly won't happen in the countryside because right now the technology is not there to be able to cope with unmarked roads, no. with uh, roads that only have 
a white line down the middle and then yeah. the, the the road just stops and then there's a big ditch, you know, that, that we have to cope with now. So um, this, it's almost hysteria and um, zeal to yeah. say, oh, everything's going to be rosy when this happens. No, it won't. No, that's because true. it needs, it, what also needs to be thought out is um, you can't have an autonomous vehicle for every person. Otherwise you do not reduce any congestion which is one of the arguments no that's right i think that's one of the things that 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 also concerns me is they might say right well we won't insure any car that you drive because you can't be trusted on the road and it'll mm. it may become a rich person's plaything again in that only those who can afford a self-driving car will be allowed on the road and the and, and the plebs will just have to stay at home or ride a horse or ride a bike yeah. um, you know i don't like the idea of that really um it just seems again it's another sort of population control device um, but there you go. That's just me and my mad old ages. I watch people on the internet rave about things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then, so what's been your favorite car to drive and why was that? Well, I would, it'd be very remiss of me if I didn't have cars that I like to drive. So we've been through that. So I, I have a mini, a Land Rover and a BMW that really ticks all of my boxes. So, um, all I can do is remember sort of fantastic um, sort of driving experiences I've had. I did for Car Magazine, uh, write about Aston Martins, and this was in the 1980s, and I found a DBS uh, that was on sale for £6,000. And obviously it drove like a £6,000 even then, uh, DBS. It was really, if people remember the old Star Trek uh, episodes where Officer Scotty would say, you know, I cannot keep a you know, together, Captain, and everything yes. was taking. That's precisely what this car was like. You just thought, is it, you know, I wasn't, we weren't going that 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 fast. The seller was next to me, he was a dealer. And everything, you know, I can just, I can feel it now. It was just shutting, you know, the whole thing was shaking and banging. And, you know, and obviously I should have bought it because it was an Aston Martin. But, <laughs> Uh, but you're six thousand pounds at the time. That would buy you a pretty decent, you know, Golf GTI. So you just think, well, you know, a pretty brand, you know, almost brand new one. So you just think, well, why would you on earth would you buy, you know, a heap of rubbish like this? Um, and I can just remember that, and that that just sticks in my mind um, so much. There was also um, uh, an illegal thing I did in the 1980s when I had a three two three E thirty. Uh, it had a dog leg close ratio gearbox and for people who don't know you it goes uh, across the gate and and down rather than up for first um and uh, i achieved again we'll have another star trek uh, uh, thing there a warp speed uh, along high hope when i i hit 80 miles an hour and my excuse is i was a young person at the time trying to impress a lady uh, who looked as though she was out of Banana Rama in the next seat? I don't know what she was impressed. Um, and yeah, I remember. I remember seeing eighty miles an hour. I mean, what a stupid thing to do because so many things could have gone wrong with that. But then, when we're young, we do lots of stupid things. But again, I can remember that it was actually in a in a built up area. The the feeling of speed is is absolutely huge. So it probably felt like two hundred and forty miles an hour. I remember that. And I can come on to modern cars that I've driven, and I've recently driven some supercars uh, on the road. And nothing compares to either an Aston Martin falling apart or um, a BMW E30 trying to impress, you know, a lady. Really. Okay. Well, that, um, they sound perfect. We will leave that there. Uh, <laughs> tricky to top that. So then, what's been your least favourite car to drive, and why was that? Um, it's very, it's very difficult. I mean, I, oddly enough, um, my wife's car got damaged last year, and we had a 
um, uh, a Ford Galaxy for a, for a week, which we never drove because it was so horrible. We just couldn't. It was it was very depressing. It was depressing. It's a bit like those Undertaker vehicles because I was out with my daughter today and we looked at a vehicle and I said, "Yeah, that's an Undertaker um, uh, version." And it was like that. It was just so depressing to drive. I mean, obviously there's just two of us in this vehicle, so that's depressing anyway. We're in this mm. van, um, and it's and it's a civilized van, and actually. Uh, the four galaxies are pretty okay, but I think it's just the concept of one of those. If you don't need it uh, to pack loads of kids in and stuff in, it's a it's a horrible thing to have. Um, I uh, think even if you do, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> <to have. laughs> uh, well, I don't know. It's a joyous thing. We've got lots of children, and they're all happy, and that's. Uh, uh, I'd rather have a van with seats, uh, yeah, probably. rather than a fake van with seats. <laughs> That's probably very true. But I think one of the uh, – I did actually drive a Reliant uh, Robin, and it was for a story for Carl Week uh, many years ago. And it was quite terrifying. And yet um, it was it was down the road, the back of Garen. There was It was a uh, lock-ups. Um, and I don't think it was a, a one that was done up as a Del Boy van, but it was something very similar to that. But it really was quite terrifying. And actually, I can remember in the 1960s and 70s, around where I used to live, you used to see them rolled over. And it wasn't for a lark. It wasn't like people just ro- rolled over. They had genuinely crashed on corners. It, it was like the, every time they went around a corner. So even in this, I went in a straight line and you did feel as though your weight's on one side. It's going gonna, it's gonna to tip over. It's going to go. And I think that was it, it was just an inherently unstable and stupid car you just think how on earth could anybody think that this is a you know a viable product and it isn't i mean it's you know it's missing a wheel so you know it's wrong on every level so so i think i think it must be that but i've driven you see i've driven lots of relatively new cars and they don't stick in the head and that's why i remember bizarre things like you know falling apart aston martins and things um because most modern cars you know, you could be in anything. Uh, it wouldn't be advisable to blindfold yourself, but you, it's very difficult, you know, to tell the difference between uh, cars today. And that includes supercars. If, you know, if you're just doing the normal... Um, well, they all do a decent job, don't they? Yeah, they do. Oh, no, they're very, very good. That, I mean, that that's the point. They are so good that they become, you know, invisible. You know, they don't they don't really excite you. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm lucky enough to have uh, an old Mini which you know, which you know, ticks all of the boxes that I need to have fun in a car. Okay. Well, um, you've already Sorry. told me that this next question is going to be superfluous, but I, I will ask it anyway. Uh, which car would you like to own next? Oh dear. <laughs> well, I've still got this very weird thing where I do look at Bristol's from time to time. I do, and then they're terrible cars in in many ways. You know, they're very un, un, unsatisfactory cars. Uh, but you just think, well, you know, how often do you see one? You just don't. And you just think, well, you know, only gentlemen can drive. And if I drove one, I'd be a gentleman. So I, I think, I, you know, in life that might, you know, uh, raise, raise raise me up to a level where I think I should belong. Um, so <laughs> Aspirational so I, car, then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bristol, even though they do seem to be terrifyingly expensive still, and if something's wrong with them, uh, there's, they're very expensive to put right. I mean, all the parts are unique, and that's suspension parts as well, and body parts. I mean, it, it, it is a bit of a nightmare. Um, but I, you know, I just, I just like the idea of one that, that you won't see. You know, everybody goes on about nine elevens, but you know, you just see them everywhere, and nobody knows the difference between them, and everybody thinks you're you're a pretentious idiot for having one anyway. However nice they are to drive. Um, mm. That's that's not car people. That's just normal people who would just not let you out of a junction because you're not allowed. Yeah, the <laughs> just, that's not our people. 
no, that's right. No, not people like us. At the moment, I can't see because because I've got uh, my BMW, which took forever to sort out because there was all sorts of um, uh, DVLA issues with it because the previous owner didn't say it had been reimported to the country. Um, and that just took forever to, to sort, sort out, but it is sorted out now, which is good. Um, uh, and I just want to enjoy that, really. And I'm not I'm not really thinking about other stuff. And as I say, I can cheat and borrow my wife's car. So whatever she's she's got, I'll borrow for a long journey, Uh, which is which is the way I'm going to do it. But I don't I don't really enjoy, you know, um, going places as much as I used to. Um, uh, Because strangely enough, I mean, that was the thing that used to do for car magazines that when you went to go and look at cars, you you didn't look at them on the Internet. You had to go to the place where they were. Um, and look at them there. You had to go mm. to a particular region, buy copies of Auto Trader early in the morning, go through it, buy an A to Z, and then find where the car was. So it was it was a fantastically complicated and very interesting way of going going to look for cars. Whereas now you can, as you say, you can look at night and you can look at cars all over the world. In in one way that's wonderful. In another way it's sort of quite lazy, isn't it? it you know, it makes you feel as though what's you know what's the point. Mm. That is a good point. Actually. I hadn't thought of that. Um, now, now you've removed the small joy I have in my life. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, obviously joking. Right. You've got, to, you've got to go and look at car people. Please look at cars still. You know, don't buy it over the yes, internet. Yes, you know, then that's instead. true. Right, next question then. Yeah. Uh, what's your favourite road to drive on? Uh, it's the road home. So when I'm coming home tomorrow from Reading, I'll be on the road home. And I think, fantastic. But I am blessed with little tiny roads. I live in Norfolk, um, uh, God's own county. And the roads around me, they're all C roads, D roads, E roads. You know, they're not some, they're not even B roads, half of them. Mm. And they're fantastic. You know, there's no cameras and not that I'm doing anything silly. Uh, I know the roads intimately They're It's just, uh, they're just wonderful little quiet roads with sharp bends. Uh, the photographers from Autocar, if they come up here, love it because two minutes away from my house, there's, there's a million uh, things to take pictures of you know it's it's fantastic they've got panning shots and the whole thing so actually um you know when it comes to you know this is why it's a good place to run free car make for me if you want to take a picture of a car uh, there's a million fantastic roads to do it on so uh, i am blessed by being you know i don't have to go to wales or scotland or anywhere i'm in norfolk the best roads are in norfolk oh controversial <laughs> okay so hopefully that doesn't start a, a road war. Um, <laughs> no, but it is excellent when you, you do have nice roads that you know really well and you're able to drive properly on because you know what's going to happen. Now, uh, yes, that is that is a good thing to have near you. Um, so what is the most pointless optional extra you've ever experienced? Yeah, it's, it is self-parking cars. If you If you cannot park a car and you have to rely on that, then really you should be taken off the road and have your license taken away. However you got it in the first place, I don't know. I, I just, I just cannot, you know, um, uh, in North London, um, uh, you used to be able to watch, uh, it was lunchtime entertainment. You'd sit there with your sandwich and it was a major supermarket car park and there was a certain kind of, um, and unfortunately it was ladies. I do apologize. We're not being sexist here. And they would park head in, in these slots and then they couldn't get out. They had to go into the shop and get, get ask the staff to reverse their cars out for them because they, they they couldn't do it. And you just think, well, how on earth did you ever, you know, did you pass? I presume you passed your test when there wasn't a test in 1923 or something. I don't know. But you just you just think, you know, people should not be allowed on the road 
um, who, who cannot put it into a slot. And, uh, you know, the self-parking car is a fantastic gimmick and it looks fantastic on adverts. And I should think a lot of people, it's a complete godsend. But because it is a godsend, then you shouldn't be driving on the road. So really, you know, driving is a skill. I'm, you know, I'm not a driving fascist at, at all about any of this in that, you know, I don't think I'm brilliant. I, I try and go everywhere as slowly as I can. Uh, despite that time I went 80 miles an hour in the centre of London, but I was young, that's my excuse. Maybe uh, because of that, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I probably traumatised a young lady at the time who's probably never been the same since. Um, but I just feel that, you know, you know, we should take a bit more pride in our driving. You know, you don't have to be, you know, you know mad about it. You know, I know people going about lane, lane discipline, but driving has to be more more than just, you know, what it has become for some people. You know, they think they have a right to a licence and they don't. Uh, and I just I just think these little gadgets are just, you know, making people stupider. I, you know, I have some, because I, I live in a farming community, I know a farmer to me, he, he buys a Toyota Hilux, he then dis- disconnects all of the parking sensors, everything that helps him. And, and, and he doesn't use a sat-nav either because he thinks that's uh, modern evil stuff. But he may well be right. So, you know, he, he he's not... He'll end up driving into a ditch because a sat-nav told him so. Um, he, he's going to know when he's reversing his trailer where it stops. He's not going to rely on anything. And that's what we've got to do. I mean, that's why older cars are better cars, because they are a bit simpler. I know cars are safer. Um, but again, that may that may be the problem with most people. They think, I'm in a, you know, I'm in a cotton wool environment. It doesn't matter. The car will sort it out for me. And I think that's the, that's the bad stage that we're sort of at now, is lots of people shouldn't be on the road, and they are. So, you know, but that's an, it's an old person rant, isn't it, really, that things aren't like, they, like what they used to be. Um, but, <laughs> but I just think people should take a bit more pride in their driving. And, it, and if that ever means we have to have a test, you know, every 20 years or 10 years, then if that does improve driving standards, that has to be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. OK, then, who do you think I should talk to after you? Um, well, you should talk to Richard Bremner because he's older than me and uh, he's got far more cars than me. And uh, he's, 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 you know, when it comes to um, someone who knows the industry, I mean, he's just off the scale. I presume we haven't spoken to him, um, nope. but uh, I'm sure he's the nicest, nicest bloke in the world. And, uh, uh, yeah, he would have a lot of really good tales to tell, um, certainly about the industry. Uh, he'd be far more interesting than me. Hilton Holloway is another one. I don't know if you've um, come across Hilton. Um, uh, he's younger than me, but more intelligent than me. So um, more <laughs> more cerebral than me and uh, he'd, he'd be very good otherwise just get if you can inter- interview your local garage man if you convince your local garage man that you're not mad and say will you talk to me because garage people they you know people who run garage they have stories you know until you know the cows come and they will tell you so many hair raising things uh, about cars and customers uh, it's fascinating and you know they're very good also for the sort of cars that they've actually owned because uh, I'm very lucky I've got a local garage to me and uh, they used to be a Citroen garage uh, but the, but the garage owner has unbelievable cars he, you know he's, uh, he's he's got a 2CV that he's put um, uh, an MGB V8 engine in you know um, as one does oh yeah absolutely <laughs> it's, it's astounding he's got that he's got a, a Citroen CX GTI Palais thing amazing uh, he's got an E-Type that he restored himself I mean he's an exception there are some really boring ones uh, um, but if you, if you find the right garage man they will have stories forever and that's you know that's that's worth doing okay excellent oh, that's, a good, that's a good idea that i like that one um okay then we'll 
just before I say thank you, uh, what are the best ways for people to follow what you do or get in touch or employ you to freelance for them? Okay, um, that's very nice of you to um, put that out there for me. Well, you can find me at freecarmag.com. Um, I'm in Autocar every week in real life uh, in a printed publication, uh, the best weekly uh, car magazine there is out there. I don't believe there are any other weekly magazines available. Um, uh, you can find me on on the Twitter. Um, I'm called Banganomics. Uh, there's there's a surprise. Um, and uh, don't forget to look up uh, my books as well. I've written a few books over the years that people have liked, apart from Banganomics. Um, there's uh, the British car industry. Um, my Our part in its downfall nearly got the uh, title wrong. And also um, the other one that was uh, pretty good, um, is the German car industry my part in it victory if you want to know what it's actually like to sell uh, cars in the 1980s um, that has um, everything in it that you need to know excellent right well there will be links in the show notes as ever to all of that um, and it just uh, leaves me uh, to say uh, what a fantastic chat I've had thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate you giving up your evening uh, like this almost into the deepest darkest reaches of the night stroke next morning um no it's I've, I've had a great time it's been fascinating talking to you um and I, I could talk to you for many more hours and uh hopefully we'll get to meet in person and we can do that maybe over a beer or something absolutely it's been a pleasure thank you andrew for that thanks once again to james for coming on rearview and chatting to me i hope you found our conversation as fascinating as i did if you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag ReviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it here in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crap Windscreen on Twitter. And if you like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, we now have a Patreon subscription offer available at motoringpodcast.com forward slash support, which, if taken up, helps support the Motoring Podcast and what we produce. So until next time, that was James Ruppert, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring. <laughs>